0: Yo, this is Real J Wallace, my mama named me Romel, they also know me as the last black man in Barrio Logan, and you're listening to a Step Off Radio production.
1: More than a decade, Ramel Wallace, better known by his stage name Real J Wallace, has been a constantly present and tireless figure in the local San Diego underground hip-hop scene.
2: Didn't your ass cause i, it would be so I wrote this song
1: as a self-taught native born san diego artist over the course of the past 13 years real j wallace has made the transition from the humble origins of an aspiring neighborhood freestyler to a prominent local indie hip hop innovator and finally into a celebrated and respected community leader with his unique blend of classic hip-hop storytelling an eclectic style incorporating blues soul and jazz into his music it goes without saying that real j wallace stands apart from virtually any one of his musical peers in the greater san diego area with music showcasing his own sense of down-to-earth humility cosmic spirituality accompanied with soulful golden era style production through his music Real J. Wallace brings a unique perspective chronicling the vivid realities of the common man laced with the esoteric intricacies of the mysterious and the unexplored. For today's episode, we had the pleasure of sitting down with Real J. Wallace for a second time, where we got to discuss, among other things, his experiences and inspirations from his early life and childhood, as well as the origins of his then-fledgling music career. Likewise, we also delved into some of his latest projects in the works, his thoughts on the ever-increasing threat of gentrification waiting to lay siege on Barrio Logan and other communities across San Diego, the artistic movement currently taking place blooming inside Barrio Logan, his latest position as a member on the board of the San Diego African American Museum of Fine Art, as well as what the immediate future holds for Real J. Wallace, and a plethora of other exciting topics. With that said, we here at Step Off Radio are proud to share our talk with the one and only Real Real J. Wallace. <coughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, internets, welcome back. Thank you once again for taking the time to sit down and talk with us. Uh, for our listeners out there who may not be familiar with your work, uh, please introduce yourself, man. Uh, let our listeners know who
0: you are and what you do. Tell the world. Who is Real J. Wallace? Uh, well, my, my mom named me Romel Wallace, and, and Real J. is, I guess, how I see, see myself in my own identity. I've uh, been rapping for about 10 years, I'm a part of the hip-hop scene uh, in a traditional type of way of what hip-hop is with uh, all of the elements, including the the culture and um, the identity part, the knowledge of self. And so uh, I really feel like hip-hop and education are together. So I've been trying to push music and education together through my organization called The Holy Field. Uh, I'm a business uh, owner and entrepreneur. Uh, you know, oh,
1: right, man? Yeah. So let's dive into your early days. Um, how exactly did you first get into making music? You've been emceeing and making music here in the hip-hop scene for you know, a number of years now. Uh, tell us your musical influences is growing up. What inspired you to get into music and actually pursue what you know as more than just a
0: hobby? I don't know how deep you went because when we had previously talked. So if we want to go all the way like that... Yeah, let's go Let's go all the way back the first, for Maybe some yeah. new,
1: certain new listeners. The you know?
0: first time... So, so people can understand how I digest music. The first time that I ever remember writing a rap was when I was praying to God before my meals. I felt like if I actually, I was like, gotta like the, these bars <laughs> more than like this. I, I was like, who made this prayer when I would say yeah. some of them? Like, that's whack. I was like, that does not yeah. sound like the stuff I'm listening to, which I'm probably around a lot of Snoop Dogg. Dog Pound, uh, Tupac, Mm -hmm. and it's not like these other prayers aren't speaking to me, so I'm I'm writing these raps when I'm praying before God, Mm -hmm. and so it was always aligned to this higher type of being, and that's the route that I started taking when I started writing or doing any type of art form. Uh that I feel like that was the most inspirational thing once I looked back on my on my career of just writing music and doing hip hop was that moment. I was like, oh wow, I did used to do that. Other than that, like I didn't really rap rap. I was doing poetry in high school. Mm-hmm. Miss and Menace had this poetry class and, and storytelling class where we would learn how to write short stories and do poetry and go through the history, the, the beatniks, the uh, in different centuries of of poetry and how it influenced uh, the times, mm-hmm. basically. Through that, I, I ended up doing this. Uh, it was like a what do you call it? A Black History Month type of thing. And we did poetry in front of this auditorium. Mm-hmm. I had this poem called "My Nose Is My Name." <laughs> my nose was once my wide-fitting shame, till I realized that my nose is my essence, my name. This nose was once too wide for my face, and then um, I I okay. that's when it turns around where I started accepting the nose. I'm okay. Going to like the pyramids and, and Malcolm X and all that stuff. That's dope. That's dope. And the class loved it. It was basically saying how I was ashamed of my my nose as I was growing up as a child and how I had to later own up to what that nose represented, which was so deep. There was Mm -hmm. so much history in in my nose. So my nose is my name. It's a reflection of who I am and what my purpose is and where I came from. Mm -hmm. And so I did that poem. And we we had, like, four different sessions that we did it in. The first session I did it, I killed it, but I was by myself. But mm-hmm. then, you know, you hit the audibles. So the next session we did it, but we had, like, the my black homegirls in the back of me. And then the next section we did it, but we had the black homegirls in the back and they held the fist up. Mm-hmm. And then at that, that was the one where I was saying the poem and somebody threw up white power in the crowd. I was doing a gross <laughs> my high school at the time Mm -hmm. i was going to grossmont high school and this poem is talking about africa malcolm x talking about all the history that's been deleted why talking about white supremacy all those type of things and it i i couldn't believe that it had affected people to really speak their truth Mm -hmm. because we're in a society where you feel the truth but you don't necessarily hear the truth spoken out like in literal terms or see it like that it's these pseudo environments where it's this microaggression racism that's developed where it's like I know what is happening right now and you're not gonna say it, but I'm fighting because right. you know we know what it is. Oh yeah,
3: it's like it's like I had a similar experience where like I'll be walking on the street with someone, I see someone with their kids, and they will walk to the other side of the street mm-hmm. and just completely like the look over the shoulder, see me, get like that kind of like anxiety, grab their kid closer and walk. And it's these subtle, like you said, micro things. That, like, especially, like, I grew up in East County, I know where Grossman High School is, and I know exactly yeah, yeah. what yeah. kind of... Yeah, it
0: is, what yeah. it is. <laughs> it was like, when we
3: all, we all went to see just Siria X, and that one dude in the Donald Trump, the Trump-Pence 2020 shit that just had to come in and say his two cents to a room full of, of, of people who are there listening to a speaker talking about empowerment and, like, doing all this kind of stuff, and, of course, it has to come go, who told me why Donald Trump's a racist, right? Like, these... Uh, Uh, The attacks that have to happen from us, just empowering ourselves. So, and especially like you know, pointing what you said about poetry, because I uh, had a very similar experience with identity about like uh, using poetry, right, as a way of like you know, kind of understanding my own self in in this colonized you know country of America, right, this settler colonial uh, system, uh, you know, that like doesn't tell our stories on like in the major in the mainstream. It's mostly just like uh, you know makes you makes you feel kind of left out. I grew up in East County, so it's very much like. Uh, the otherness that is, like, put on you by, like, just the main culture. Like, it doesn't surprise me at all that somebody threw up white power at, at Grossmont High School, is what I'm saying.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah that, that's how so a lot of a walk. For, yeah. For, yeah, for anyone that's not
1: necessarily from San Diego or, like, the county area, we talked about this in our last interview, but East County kind of has the reputation of being the bastion of where... Um, the white supremacist, white power elements reside in the county. Not that everyone out there is like that. There's lots of great people in these county. That's yeah, true. But um, yeah. but that is um, w- that's where that element that is present in San Diego unfortunately tends to congregate out there. Um, you know, it's ain't, ain't no thing. Well, you know, Santee. I think it's called clan T. You know, still call it, Clantee, you know, yeah, still call call it, it that. It ain't no thing to see people with Confederate flags out there, even though we're not anywhere near the fucking South. Or you'll see. Blue Live Matter flags all over the place, you know, just all sorts of nonsense out there. Yeah, it's all nonsense.
3: But that's why, like, I think it's important that, like, we have these vehicles to, like, take back our own identities and, like, and, and, and put labels to them and try to, like, and, and, and find ourselves using poetry, music, uh, because, like, a lot of those things are just, like, those vehicles we're trying to, you know, forcibly taken away from us. So I think it's great uh, when I'm hearing your story because it's, like, it's something that I can kind of resonate with where I kind of went in high school, started experimenting with writing poems and trying to, like, cope with toxic masculinity, things that are like, always being, like, introduced to. Um, yeah, and I think that, like, you know, it's very inspiring to hear about the about your, your story with Grossman High School and Poetry. Um, but, like, now we're going to talk about some more
1: deep San Diego history, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're talking about um, your first entry into wanting to rhyme, really, is through this poetry class. Um, how did this kind of, you know, how was... How did that help you kind of get your foot into like? It goes from spoken word poetry to like, okay, now I want to be an MC. You know, tell us that. How how, how does that transition go?
0: Well, I mean, it's that seed where when I was praying to to God before mm-hmm. my food, my first idea was to rap. He would like rap the most. Mm-hmm. That's what God would relate to the most. He would he would enjoy a rap. Mm-hmm. Because I would enjoy a rap. And in my transition of learning more history about hip-hop, I am the actual God that I was praying to. People are the gods that they're praying to. Mm-hmm. So you know what? It's rap. Mm-hmm. Rap is the choice. That's that's the vehicle. Tupac was Jesus. N- Nipsey was Jesus to us. The, these are huge reflections of how my culture speaks. And I chose to go down that vehicle because I did the knowledge Wu Tang was a huge influence, especially the philosophy behind what they did, mm-hmm. and that was I think the Tao of the Wu was the book that I got where I first learned about um, like five percent knowledge and the numerology that they were talking about. Mm-hmm. And if you go even further back from five percenters to the Nation of Islam and Black Muslims in America, you start to learn about how you know we're we're African Americans in America. And we don't know our history. And black Muslims are really, that's the first outlet that we go to when we're learning our history. We're growing our Afros back in the 60s and everything. And we're learning about our roots. Mm-hmm. This stuff leads through the generations. And the Nation of Islam has this guy named Charles. He breaks from them and starts the 5%ers. If you go through all the knowledge and the diction and the wording of the 5%ers, it was it was made specifically for the African-American male mm-hmm. the language was made for that and that language got passed down to hip hop that's why all the hip the early hip hop talking about science knowledge rock like the 360 them, yep. that is what that's the that's the philosophy that they laid down and it's it's literally uh it's literally a, literally a philosophy it's just like the um it's just like Buddhism. Mm-hmm. They got like the four noble truths. Mm-hmm. And then you got to go down like the eightfold path. And yeah. then it's just like a philosophy like that. So... That's really how I see hip-hop as. It's a philosophy that's been bastardized so it can't be seen as that when I feel like it should be in the education system. People have proven time and time again that they can talk about what's in their raps and then it can come into fruition. There's something very powerful about my culture and us speaking out our truth and our future through our voice, there's something about that chakra. Now, I don't know all the knowledge in that lane, but I know it's a powerful vehicle. Mm-hmm. And if I was sitting down there praying to God in raps, that was the first thing that I thought of, there's a, there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it's so powerful that it can help somebody tell the truth in that crowd and I can see their truth with their actions, mm-hmm. it's powerful, it's resonating, it's hitting a chord. It's a higher form of communication. So I want to try to communicate as, on the higher forms while I'm alive as I can. Because maybe I won't be able to communicate. Uh, and you can't forever. Yeah, yeah. So I want to try to do it on the highest form. So it was hip-hop. It was me listening to Tupac. It was me listening to Ice Cube and these other people to really get put on game on, on how to live before I die. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to help people get put on game on how how I've learned to live before uh, I, I meet my demise.
1: Yeah. yeah, no doubt. So you got all these different influences at the time. You're reading all this book, you're reading all this philosophy and whatnot. There was a story you told about last time. It was when you had no radio in your car. It was about rapping. Tell can you tell us that story? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that I one. was,
0: I think I was in the poetry class when yeah. that when that had happened. My radio had broke, and I think I I had a record player, which it doesn't even it doesn't feel like it's old. That's an old idea to me. It still doesn't feel like like it was. But I had a record player, but it had a CD thing in it. Mm-hmm. So I had a bunch of CDs. I would just like burn uh, instrumentals, and I was listening to like a lot of Ninth Wonder, and then you yes. would get the. You know, you you could download like 100 songs on Napster and burn them to CDs. And I would also sell CDs, yeah. too. So I would listen to them. You'd have to listen to them to make sure that the CD wasn't messed up before yeah. you gave it to so, someone, <laughs> yeah. too. So that was putting a dent in the business. So I was like, i got to find a way. My radio's broken. But as I was listening to these instrumentals that I had downloaded, I would just start writing raps to them. And I showed them to my girlfriend at the time. And and she was like, "Yo, this is dope." And then she started making me show other people. Because when girlfriends like see that their boyfriend can do something dope, they go tell everybody. <laughs> My boyfriend can d- rap.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I wasn't even a rapper then. I I just. I just had to step up to the plate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You kind <laughs> of the show and proof? Yeah, I was like, I know this is in me. I know this is in me. There's something about it. And there, the song was really good, too. Yeah. It was really well written. And, you know, if you can do something once, you can do it a million times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no doubt.
1: So, um, switching gears just a little bit, um, we're going to talk about uh, the neighborhood um, where you grew up in. You kind of bounced back and forth between Southeast and East County Mm -hmm. while you're growing up. Now, uh, your family um, have uh, roots in a unique history of the Barrio Logan in Southeast San Diego as a whole. Your great-grandma, your mom, your aunt, and your dad all lived in the same yellow townhouse on Sampson and Julian Mm -hmm. in Barrio Logan, which is where your parents ultimately met. Um, Tell us about your upbringing and spending time in Southeast in your early childhood. Did the neighborhood... Or, those, or going back and forth to the neighborhoods kind of mold or shaped the sound of your music in any way or what you saw, you know, did that ever influence, you know, your content and your music later down the line?
0: I was because I remember growing. I didn't only grow up in that townhouse. I, I, w- I went to church every Sunday um, right down the street at New Hope Friendship Baptist Church.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I remember we would walk around. And this was at the time where you would have the fat laces and you change the colors and stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah. Like, my family was involved in different types of neighborhoods, but my mom had always shielded me away from, like, gang knowledge. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know what was going on. I could only observe and try to um, connect the dots of what was going on. I would see the trauma that was happening. I would see people uh, crying, people hurt. I would hear all the stories... But I remember, especially a lot of times when I was walking around, my cousin would tell me, like, you can only go in certain sections over here. Don't go in this section, especially when you got those flamed up uh, K-, K Swiss. <laughs>
1: Back when and, K Swiss was. Yeah, because so we <laughs> noticed
0: that there, there's this, like, tense, there's this tense, there's, like, even this physical tensity where you have to, like, gung ho. You have to act more mannish. And it's also this, Tireding burden that's on your back as you hold up this this front of not having, a, I not
1: guess, a humanity
0: not, essence of you.
1: Like, not showing weakness, essentially. You got to kind of project. Yes,
0: you, you know? have to project yourself, and then mm-hmm. the, the avatar just becomes bigger, and it, it ends up destroying you. That's just the, that's one of the main things that I noticed, just of, of that life. I grew up kind of like my family was from southeast mm-hmm. outside of the immediate, but I I grew up like elementary school was over there in Barrio Logan. Yeah, uh, Logan Heights, South Logan Heights, same difference. Uh, but in middle school, that's when I moved over to like East County and started to really see that life, which mm-hmm. I didn't know to, I didn't know was different until I went over there and notice that they didn't know anything about black people. White people know more about dogs than they know about black people. Mm. Ask the white person how many dogs they know about, and you'll be shocked. And so you don't really... You don't know how much white people don't know about other people until you're around white people. You're like, oh, damn. These niggas don't know nothing. And that's not speaking on all white people, but there's some people that they... I mean... They they only see a certain demographic.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, so, so side.
0: I was lucky enough to live on both sides of that, and I feel like it gives a great perspective and an empathy level of, you know, what type of beast that we're dealing with. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about was there like a was there to an extent
1: like kind of a culture shock when you move out these kind of, because I I interviewed Jasuriak several years ago and he said that. He had a similar experience. He moved from Chicago to uh, Monroeville, Pittsburgh, which is a, a lot more wider, and it's a suburb. And he said he 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 compared it akin to getting a cold glass of racism to the face. Is what his exact words is how he compared it to. It's now it might not be that extreme in your case, but like was there a, was there kind of a culture shock or something? Like You said you know you, you come into this new neighborhood and just
0: people just know nothing. You know. It's a complete culture shock. And I was just watching this thing with Killer Mike. Killer Mike is a great person. Killer Mike is doing amazing things for his community. I look up to him. I want to be like him. And he's talking about how we need to make schools in our own neighborhoods and not go to these other neighborhoods and take our kids to these private schools because we're putting them in these other types of positions.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I feel like he's right and he's wrong at the same time. Uh, the kid just has to have the knowledge beforehand Mm -hmm. because you don't really believe it even as you're going through it you're a kid you want to have friends you don't even know how racist it is until you look back on the reflection oh yeah and hindsight is 20 Mm -hmm. hindsight is 20 as hell and you see the different types of things i was lucky enough to work uh, at a school, after I went to school. So it was like I was back in the elementary school system when I was a, uh, a little bit after college. Mm-hmm. And then you see the racism again. Yeah. Yeah. You see how they see people that are poor mm-hmm. and how the poor people always are more of a problem. Yeah, It's like if you take that extra effort to understand where they're coming from and the perspectives and the different oppressions that they may face, the empathy level can be built, but people have empathy for people that look like them only yeah and so you at the that's what i'm saying i feel like killer mike is kind of wrong because you they gotta see other people because mm-hmm. we gotta heal the beast as well as fight the beast yeah mm-hmm. this is it's a contradiction it's very complex what's going on but some of these people don't ever get exposed i it, i would low key say it's child abuse i remember i was at the dentist and this white girl this little white kid she was maybe maybe six she should have seen a black person before. She had asked me and my mom why we was so dirty looking. Mm. And my mom looked at her mom because my mom already did the math. Gave, she her, like, gave her the side. She was like, you ain't never showed your kids no black people. <laughs> 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 was, ain't never showed... And that's a that's a repeated story cycle because oh, yeah. what what they do when they see you in these environments is they ask you all the questions that they ever wanted to ask a black mm-hmm. person or a Mexican person or someone that they never seen. They creed they want to mm-hmm. ask you all the questions in yeah. a row and fetishize you. They don't yeah. realize that yeah. it it's fetishizing, yes. but they want to fetishize you. And and for me, it goes back to the God thing. If I want to communicate to that on a different level. It's to me. It's always connected to, to hip hop. I yeah. feel like that's the strongest thing. It's like I need to connect to them on that level and this level. I mm-hmm. need to talk to them and I need to rap to them and I need to be able to hit them on different types of frequencies. But it's a it's a real thing. People don't know a lot about people that don't look like them. Yeah, yeah. And so that you that needs to change. I need as a black person. I need to stretch out into the um, uh, LGBT community all the trans people like there there's something about being a black man where it's like we don't even we're not even thinking about that stuff and so i'm taking that extra effort to learn those things because if i can say all that i want i could talk all that i want unless i am around other types of people Mm -hmm. or digesting how they communicate i can't really empathize as much i've noticed that about myself I can't empathize as much. So I have to take the extra effort and do the knowledge and be around those people, hear their stories, help them tell their stories. And so
3: yeah, yeah. exactly what you're saying is is important about like the intersectionality of our liberation. All liberation is tied together, all of ours. And like the kind of things you're describing about, like, the emotional voyeurism as how I felt growing up in East County, where yeah. people feel entitled to ask you, like, every question. There's like, just recently, I came back on a flight from D.C., and the flight attendant, you know, uh, I was giving was a few hours on the flight. He was giving me a glass of water, so I did the appropriate thing and resp- responded, like, oh, thank you for the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, his response, you know, rather than saying, you're welcome, you know, for you know, thanking me or whatever. Uh, was, I've been wanting to ask you for hours, for hours, like, <laughs> since, since you've been on this plane, like, are you Native American? I need to know, are you Native American? So, this is the kind of reaction I get, like, on No Lie, this will know, like, four times a week, like, on just average, because specifically white people feel this, like, entitlement to kind of know, like, like they're playing Pokemon Go or something, I want to I catch one of you, collect you, I haven't got one of you yet, um, and I want to ask these questions, uh, and that's, like, a kind of, like, just a kind of a testament to, like, especially, like, going from, like... Um, to a, like my mom's from Boyle, uh, my mom is from uh, Boyle Heights, right? So my mom's from like when we came from LA. We moved to Lakeside, which is like anyone that knows where Lakeside is knows that it is not like a center of like any sort of progressive learning. <laughs> uh, and like this is that kind of thing that we have to experience like in these in these spaces, right? Which is like this constant passive attack, including like active attack. My neighbors when I moved there when I was three years old, my neighbors all came out like when because uh, we were the first non-white family that moved in that neighborhood, mm. and they came over and I tell this story every so often. Um and then, you know they thought they were being nice and just like you know being friendly, but they asked like my family very clearly, you know, with a three-year-old son and another two-year-old kid and like a baby on the way. Uh, Why'd you move here? Because the clan is active here, and wouldn't you be safer like moving somewhere else where more people look like you? And that was their like attempt to be like friendly, like we're trying to look out because the clan is here. And that was come. their lead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but that's what, and that, but that's what I'm saying. Like the the struggle you're talking about, right? Of like of of trying to of, of, uh, of trying to you know respond to the beast that's like damaging and like and subtly and not so subtly like you know because that kind of stuff has an impact on all of our communities like this kind of passive like you're not wanted here like like what are you like what kind of person are you how much respect do I have to give you on the sliding scale of like depending on what you are if you're Native American like I've noticed that white people they stoicize and romanticize like you said fetishize certain identities and this fool on the airplane when I told him like I had to you know break down my entire genealogy blood science or whatever to this dude um his response was to be disappointed, right? Like, oh, like, I thought you were this. Like, you thought I was Native American. Right? Like, <laughs> no, oh, I'm Colombian-Mexican. I'm Cle- Clement- yes. You know, without going into the whole colonial, like, you know, detribalization that goes on with, like, the you know, how the Spanish colonized the New World. The New World. uh, <laughs> uh you know, it's just like the disappointment that this person's like. Well, I felt entitled. I wanted you to be what I wanted you to be because I have this kind of like a f- association with it, uh, and that's like violence. I think <laughs> to our community, he was,
1: he, he was disappointed. You weren't like Apache or Navajo, or yeah, he something.
3: wanted they wanted he wanted me to do something stoic and romantic for him, uh, and in that way, that's where I really resonate with what you said is that like uh, it's, a, it's a culture shock and like a subtle reminder of like, oh, we live in a settler colonial society that that kind of dictates and asks these questions of people uh, specifically, like, like I said, I specifically get it from uh, white people uh, uh, in that kind of way, because sometimes I'll get asked by other people, like other people, like Native people, Indigenous people, uh, that are seeking community and want to, like, you know, bond with me and try to know, like, where are you from? Like, what are we, like, uh, they and that's, like, a completely different set of impulses than this kind of, like, gotta catch them all, <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> I'm entitled, stop all conversation. I don't even know you, don't even want to know you. Just tell me what I want to know. And so that way I can follow in my back pocket, kind of thing. Uh, sorry to derail the conversation, <laughs> but this is like, no, I really resonated no, with no. that. No, I'm <laughs>
0: Speak your truth. Um, I'm with you on that. It, it, it's, it's, it's a weird psychology of it because it's, to me, at the end of the day, it's someone saying that I want you to be what my experiences have shown you to be to me. Yeah. And that ego of thinking that your experience is, a, is, is like an end-all, be-all is very destroying. Your experience is a, is a very uh, limited type of thing. So you have to broaden what your experiences are before you can move forward with any type of any type of anything. It's like, broaden your experiences. But people need to be shown that that's wrong. And it needs to be explained to them. But yeah. uh, I'd be so angry and shocked when it happened. Yeah. At, At the moment, time, you know, it's me. very like, jarring. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> yeah. So... So everything that you do is it's a it's all centered back to community. Um in this case, especially Barrio Logan. Um, last time we spoke, we discussed your work with the church down there in Barrio Logan, which had then had just recently shuttered. Um since then you've also had to relocate your recording studio, at the Holy Field, which also occupied the same space. Um tell us about how you um kind of became like the president and co founder of the church in Bar Logan. And for our listeners that may be unfamiliar, um how did that space ultimately come, to ultimately become the holy field? You know, and tell us about um, your your time there and eventually your relocation, really from that space, down there.
0: Well, like first, first and foremost, for there, there's like a scene that got created, and I feel like people like Nipsey Hussle helped push. That agenda where people from my demographic were like, How do we own things? Uh, I remember Dom Ken- Kennedy came out with that o- OPM, other people's money. How do you find investors? How do you get in the position where you can be running something and, and tr- try to find. Uh, generational wealth
2: mm-hmm.
0: so I was going down that route and learning a, a lot of things like that I was working at an after school program and right down the street was Platt College I wanted a place to record where I can get my ideas down so I, st- I started going down to Platt College and uh, I built a relationship with the teachers I also knew them outside of there I-, I met them at a party with Abjo at the flight deck
2: mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> I went back to the studio one day and I checked it out I talked to the students that were there a lot of military, a lot of people that were just out of high school or going back to school to learn media, uh, graphic design, interviewing, interviewing, recording. And I started going to the class. In that, uh, we ended up developing a program where the students would record someone in the community,
2: mm-hmm.
0: or they would videotape them, or they would uh, do a podcast with them. So it was this environment where people could... Go there from the community that had a small business or that were artists, basically a small business, Mm -hmm. and they could go get work done. And the students at the same time could finish and be inspired to do their work because they didn't really have any subject. Some would just be videotaping in the parking lot. They had no subject to actually drive them to finish and complete their work and do something that they were proud of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I started going in there and recording my music. Uh, I brought other people in there to be recorded and actually get things done for their small businesses. With that, I built relationships with the other people and teachers that were at, at that college. And with that group of people, which included like Abjo, Dayfade, uh, Mark Escobar, Frank Luna was one of the teachers, uh, Winter Enter was uh, someone that was making music, a graphic designer, uh, it was a, a whole group of people, Daylock from the Stage Kids, uh, Richard. We ended up forming a band called Mystic Visions with all of them as well, and we would go around and do music. Mm-hmm. Uh, that group of people, we went down to Barrio Logan together, and we opened up the church and we were like, you know what, it shouldn't be like you get this opportunity if you're just in college. What about the people that aren't in college? Because mm-hmm. there's some people yeah. that just have enough money to go there and they don't really care about what their assignments are. They're just just there to get the paper yeah. and get the job, whatever, and move on. Some kids love it so much, but they don't have access to it. So we went down there and I think and one of the guys, Frank Luna, had an investment he had an investment for a video and we convinced the investor to put it into into the community. So we opened up the church uh, in 2014. And for the first year, we gave out free rent to different businesses. Nice. So Uncommon Value, which uh, Jr. was pushing and now, and Kyle by Kyle was the designer and Julian was part of it as well and another guy named julian it took me a, a while to figure out that they had the same name uh they started their beatbox records had a location in there as well uh i helped run the venue space and i was the face of the church and i also ran the music studio which is called the holy field and while we were down there uh we were recording a lot of the stuff we were doing at Platt. i was doing down there at the holy field and we were giving a lot of free studio time to people in the community and people that just needed a lot of youth uh, from like 2014 to 2018. We gave away around 400 hours of studio time. Nice. To, yeah. to you that just needed it. And we were learning how to just run a business and work together down there. So it was kind of a it was a long journey. We ended up shutting down once and then relocating down there, but it started at Platt College and then moved down to Barrio Logan.
1: All right, so so that's how you get started with the church and ultimately with the recording studio with the Holy Field. Um, transitioning in that same lane, in recent years, especially in black and brown communities, there's been a spotlight. An emphasis around the spread of gentrification where neighborhoods and communities that have traditionally been black and brown for generations are essentially, they're economically whitewashed and the original residents are being displaced due to this phenomenon, which is essentially a reverse white flight. And we've seen it happen in San Diego from City Heights, the North Park, and unfortunately, we're starting to see it creep into Barrio Logan now. Uh, last time we spoke, um, you had said that uh, four businesses had closed in Barrio Logan over the span of just a month back then, I think that was August of 2017. Uh, Since then, you know, like you were saying, you yourself have seen your own business displaced because of the high rents driven up by gentrification. Um, In fact, back in 2017, you started GoFundMe to keep the Holyfield around, and you guys were able to remain there in Barrio Logan for another six months. Now in 2019, do you believe that that gentrification is having judgmental effects on the residents and family-owned businesses of Barrio Logan? And, you know, what are your broader thoughts on the issue, you know, even outside of Bar Logan, but just San Diego in general?
0: I think that the people that are there right now are really holding it down. It's getting really big. Uh, It's it's exciting to see where it's going to go. And I feel like they have the knowledge enough to hold it down there. I feel like gentrification is way bigger of a beast because, I mean, the rent was expensive down there, but we also did a lot of mismanaging. I feel like it's not just in them pushing people out, but it's also in the knowledge that we receive. The 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 education system doesn't allow certain people the time to learn how to run a business when they're young, to learn how to run a business from their family. And so I feel like those aspects really make it harder for people to survive. hmm and do people realize that just realize what it takes to run a business? I feel like that's a, a big, big part of it. Just knowledge base. And so right now, the I'm just I'm just working and doing more knowledge and seeing how to navigate in it. I feel like gentrification is going to happen. I was born and raised in California, in San Diego, but my entire family has left. They are all in Arizona. And so how the reverse white flight is happening, the reverse uh, great migrations are happening. And, and I feel like in the upcoming years, we're going to really start to notice it. Mm-hmm. But there's always this after effect where like 10 years from now, we're like, oh, all these black people and all these other races move down to places like Las Vegas, yeah. Arizona, back to the south, Texas. Maybe Chicago, Texas. I already saw the migration happen with with an entire family that was here for four generations, my own. And so now I'm born and raised here, but my family's not from here. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's something that is going to happen and just maybe for people to start thinking about it. Uh, I'm thinking about places like Atlanta. I'm thinking about places like Texas. I'm thinking about places like Arizona for myself. So you yourself are thinking down the line
1: about this. I as well.
0: feel like at this point and at the rate of things and rents uh increasing, I feel like it's a major option. I mean I feel like everybody in San Diego knows somebody in Mexico mm-hmm. that goes over the border. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's a lot of it is because of the rent is way less down there and the people say, you know what, we gotta make the adjustment Uh I feel like that needs to happen but at the same time I I never want to leave it's it's, it's beautiful I love it out here and I want to fight for it out here and if they're gonna be trying to get into our spaces we gonna be there when you try to show up Precisely. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, oh no. It yeah. Us. <laughs> well, not and like.
3: in the easy. Like, there's there's plenty of people like you mentioned in, in Barrio Logan that are, are ready to lay that resistance. Yeah. And I mean, we're for sitting in a room full of signs, and like we know <laughs> that like people like the San Diego Tenants Union, the people that like like Ace Action, who are fighting for rent control. Like, they're these big these big landlords um, are going to push us out. Are gonna, trying to push us out, and they're doing all this greasy stuff. Uh, but people are going to fight. People are leaving. A lot of people are leaving. Yeah, love uh, uh, but I think as, like, the, the, the contradictions sharpen, as, like, more and more of like, like, for last year, I went around knocking on old people's houses, houses in National City and stuff like that, fighting for rent control, uh, a measure called Measure W. Uh... Yeah,
0: I remember, yeah. Yeah, yeah
3: so, like, I, w- so I got to talk to a lot of really cool people, a lot of elders, a lot of people that were, had been in their homes for, like, 30 years that, like, yeah, never Ashby owned a home. Yeah, City
0: is very resident. Re- yeah, re- 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 it's,
3: it is, and people who built that city, literally, it used to be an affordable area for, like, for, uh... For people who had been traditionally, like, kept away from, like, San Diego the Hoya, like, we weren't allowed to live in those spaces. But people made, like, got yeah. their little piece of the American dream, as they called it, right, or it was, like, was told to them there, like, in their community where they built it for 30 years. And now that it's, like, being more and more desirable to developers, to Airbnb, to people that want to, like, make money off of it, these elders, they're seeing their rents going up like, $300 a month. And, like, when you're 80 years old, you're on a pension. Yeah. $300, they, that's a out come. somewhere. But that's why it's like, yeah, exactly. That is that like people are having to make hard decisions. Whole families are uplifting and leaving, uh, and it's unfortunate, right? But unfortunately, but I think also fortunate for us is that we're seeing this resurgence of of a, of a militant uh, uh, anti gentrification and anti displacement uh, movement uh, that includes people like the Berets and it includes people like and Save Our Barrios, yeah, Save Our Barrios coalition, and so and the resurgence of socialism too. I'm a socialist. Uh, is really really pushing that too. So
0: it's yeah. funny though. It's funny because. Wherever we go, we gonna make it cooler. Yeah. We go wherever we at, it's yeah. gonna be the place to be at. Yeah. yeah. And then they're gonna try to take it. And then if we go over here, they're gonna try to take it. And if we go over there, it's just funny to me because yeah. it's always gonna keep moving. Oh yeah. They want our culture but they don't want us.
1: That's the thing. <laughs> exactly. They want they want our <laughs> shit, but they don't want us. they, they want, like they want cocoa, but they don't want they don't want us. They want everything that makes the neighborhood unique except the people.
3: <laughs> yeah. I literally heard white people say that shit one time like where I was in Mexico and they were like Mexico would be great with wasn't one of all the Mexicans. Just like for real, I've heard that yeah, shit. And right. that's like that and therein lies the true nature of like the seller colonialism is that they like our stuff, they like our land, they like our resources, they like our food, and to a certain extent, like they like there's a lot about like what we have in our places and what we got going on, but they don't want us.
1: Um, yeah. there was a I don't know if you guys are familiar, there was a show called Border Town. Uh, oh, yeah that's uh, right. that used to that was on itself years ago that Lalo Acres he produced and he wrote it. And um there is a part where the the main character Ernesto, he says all uh, like he's talking to his neighbor, he's all like and the, the neighbor was like a white guy. He's all he's worried about becoming a, a quote unquote minority because it's a Mexican majority town now. And he says he's like hey, he's like don't worry, being a minority isn't so bad. Everybody loves your food but hates you. <laughs> it was
0: just like damn yeah. Like it, shit, it's real. It, yeah, it's a psychosis. It's a psychosis. The, the thinking is almost like you know, if I, if I'm around a bunch of Mexicans, I I might become a Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. People are crazy. Racist people are crazy for real They really think like that.
3: Well they do. Yeah, they and really I mean do, you know? and there's an economic impact like to it, right? There's an incentive. Somebody makes money by this like wedge issue, this divide and conquer, settler colonialism, right? And it's not us. We're definitely yeah. not the ones making this money. But and this kind of ties into I guess like what my question is in the next, which is like I guess in the past, right, you said that, like, Barrio Logan will be new to downtown. And as that happens, it will affect the southeast, right? The entire southeast of the city.
0: It already
3: has. Yeah. And so for listeners outside of the region who are not familiar with, like, the layout of San Diego, uh, can you give a brief description of what you mean by the gentrification of Barrio Logan will affect, like, more than just Barrio Logan, like, more, it'll affect the entire region? Uh, What do you mean by that?
0: Okay, let me try to, I've been trying to articulate this up to myself, Mm -hmm. and I still have it, so I'm going to just go for it. -hmm. Anyways. I feel like gentrification is like deforestation so they're going to keep getting rid of the trees but it's not going to make the land better it's gonna, the trees are going to be gone there's going to be less, less oxygen Yeah, I don't so see. the trees are like they represent the people mm-hmm. and they're trying to get rid of the trees right now and it's they're going to make it what they don't want it to be they're making it what they don't want it to be and they're not, they're going to be more angry once it happens it's mm-hmm. like they're doing it on purpose it's that's this the, weird psychosis that's going to continue to happen
1: that's the best yeah. way i've heard described actually that's yeah. a very unique you know but very true way of you know contextualizing it it embodies the nature of capitalism right
3: where it just destroys it's destroying like you said like deforestation it destroys the trees and it's you know not with sustainability or the future in mind it's for a quick mm. buck they're literally going to deforest our culture our people uh, and, and in its place Try and build, like, you know, fancy gastro pubs and eateries and, like, niche little things. Million-dollar condos. Yeah, but the, but the spirit's going to be gone, and, 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 and in that way, it's just going gonna, gonna to... Just like a deforested area that, like, the soil is bad and there's no plant life or animal it's life like anymore.
0: It's like a big... It's like they... It's like people will end up creating these bigger prisons for themselves. Mm-hmm. I feel like colonialism creates this big prison, but it's still a prison, and... The what what the the cabin fever is still allowed to get it's festered there. But they don't know that they're in a cell as well. Mm-hmm. They're in a cell of thinking and and it starts to rot them out. And you know what movie I, I I found out was about white supremacy? What's that shit where he kills everybody? He's a white guy, he's a murderer. Oh, is and it American psycho? American psycho. Yeah. He's a killer. He yeah. killed everybody. <laughs> yeah. And he he snaps one day and he starts telling everybody he's killed he's killed everybody. I think he has blood on him and shit don't nobody believe him. Yeah. He's white. He's yeah, a white guy. Yeah, yeah, white suit. yeah. And so he's going around, he's going even more crazy as he realized that no one even cares if he did it or if he's telling the truth. Just wilding out. And that like, that psychosis is brought into these micro microaggressions. Yeah. It makes people go crazy. People are It has to be stopped only not only for our sake, but for their own sake, Yeah. for our for them sake. as well. Yeah.
2: Yeah, collectively.
0: But, but I, yeah, collectively it, it it needs to happen. But I wish I had the complete answer for it, but b- besides awareness yeah. of it. Besides a, awareness of it, so Yeah, that's the million dollar question, right? If we, yeah. if we
3: <laughs> could solve gentrification, we would all be in a real good spot right now.
0: I sit and ponder about the way some people think. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, no, for
2: sure.
0: But I feel like a a lot of it is survival. People people are focused on survival. And I'm not focused on it. I feel like it's another psychosis that where we feel like we have security, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, we could die at any time, no matter how much we collect and try to fester, whether Mm -hmm. it's ideas or like resources. It don't allow nothing. You see the same demise at the end of it, you don't take none of that shit. It's a psychosis, like fallacy, illusion that people like believe the projections that they see. And it's like you're limited by your experiences in the first place. It's a false reality. Stop trying to get all the resources. You're not no more secure. Mm-hmm. You could die in a car crash. You could die in a plane. You could have a heart attack. Something, uh, something could fire, fall out the sky. Yeah. There's no security that you ever have. Like, people need to really let go of this idea that they're going to be secure. And I feel like it'll let people appreciate their lives more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you appreciate your life more, you don't have no time to be hating black people or Mexican people. That's such right. a waste of fucking time.
3: But this <laughs> is you why our, our society commodifies everything. Things that used to be free, right, like community, like, co- like bonds yeah. within each other, now have become commodified to the point where, like, people are isolated. And that's because of uh, the economic system we live under, which is, like, literally profits off that. It profits off people being, like, you can be sitting in a room full of people right now and everyone's like, like this and they're technically more connected than ever through the internet but they're feeling the more isolated because unless those those relationships are meaningful it's a box
0: yeah it's a box and i've noticed especially as i put more things like my, my my blackness more out there to the internet i noticed the the box creating another right reality of what i'm allowed to see it only shows me certain things of what it thinks that I want to see it yeah. wants to validate what I've shown it that mm-hmm. I have shown I, I have yeah. liked yeah so I know other people are living in these validation worlds where they only see what the the box tells them to see yeah, the algorithm that's trying to ultimately yes, mine yes. information and sell it to you yeah yeah, yeah. forget about the algorithm I'm a, I'm a just do try to do knowledge on as much as I can mm-hmm. and then care about people and appreciate my own life on that
1: level. Yeah. So now the counter argument that people who want to
0: downplay the concerns
1: of residents worried about gentrification is that demographic changes and fluctuations in neighborhoods are just a natural course of progression and change. Do you actually believe that? Or do you believe that there's something a little bit more insidious at play when we see the effects of modern gentrification taking places in real time before our eyes, you know, like it's not something that's happening, you know, necessarily like as a slow progression, like it happens sometimes very swiftly. No. yeah
0: it's not happening in a vacuum right it's happening right now, so yeah yeah you don't really you don't really notice that it's happening while it's happening, but it's something that's been occurring since like i I would say it might might have started in at, right after slavery after the reconstruction, and people are seeing other nationalities really thriving, and they had to implement ways to destroy that i mean. I was learning it because my I had to find a reason why my grandma moved from Pensacola, Florida, to Barrio Logan. I was like, "Why do you do that?" Okay, that's on the other side of the country. Mm-hmm. What's happening during this time? So I go and I do the knowledge, and what I learn is that she's part of the second Great Migration, mm-hmm. where after slavery, waves of Black people are going to the West to find jobs and opportunity Mm -hmm. and to escape the terrorism of the Klan. In
3: this automobile, Reserve Lieutenant Colonel Lemuel Penn was killed by a shotgun blast while riding through Colbert, Georgia. Arrested for this crime were four Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. Two Klansmen were tried and acquitted. In a few short months, five murders, 13 alleged members of the Ku Klux Klan said to be involved in the killings.
2: When such an order is this, moves in and takes over the police power, you are completely at their mercy. And their atrocities and their violence can be vested on anybody that disagrees with them in any given situation.
3: What started as a joke a hundred years ago when a group of men donned bedsheets for a romp has over the years attracted to it persons charged with acts of harassment, intimidation, and violence throughout the South. Even though the nation
1: has been outraged for many years the Ku Klux Klan persists with its bizarre ritual and trappings, but a 100 years is a long time for a
3: joke.
0: After slavery, the Klan was was out there trying to destroy what was happening as the resurgence was happening. Mm -hmm. And so people were fleeing from that. They were seeking asylum. Mm -hmm. They were going to go away from that. So my great-grandma was part of that. But as that wave of black people are coming into these new societies, we're talking millions. We're talking millions of black people. Government is creating different sanctions and policies to combat that from thriving in the West. They're, they're writing like redlining laws where, mm-hmm. where certain demographics, blacks and brown people, can only live in certain sections. And it's always the beat up part of society it's always the destroyed part of the community and that is on perfect pur- purpose purpose mm-hmm. where we live is on purpose mm-hmm. and it's set up where these ghettos i mean the first time i saw ghetto in my textbook was when they were talking about the holocaust yep. and they kept people in the ghettos it's the same type of ghetto It's set up so people can be destroyed in these neighborhoods where you can give them a certain type of education, where you can give them a certain type of water, where you can give people a certain type of way to... It's another box. It's another box. It's a bigger form of the cell phone. It's another box that we can... Even the air is different. It's (laughs) controlled. The the air is different. And, And I even saw something where it says the the wind usually pushes all of the bad air and debris to the east. So a lot of low-income neighborhoods are in the east. Yeah. So you can go to any part of the nation and see this same system set up in all these locations. Same setup. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's set up to be a death trap where 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 they put us. Yeah. And so you talk about the reverse white flight where they stay out of these neighborhoods and now they want to come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, I feel like it's really like Deforestation because once you get rid of the trees, a lot of times the trees don't necessarily have some else some place else to go. It's mm-hmm. like you got rid of the trees; mm-hmm.
1: they're not coming back. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, they're not. Some of the yeah, some of the trees are not coming back, and in that, I mean, some of the families get destroyed. Yeah, some of the families get pulled apart. Some people get put into lower income neighborhoods, and it's not as safe because people are looking for resources so that they can survive. And so they have to make certain choices just for survival where people shouldn't have to live in those situations. Yeah. But I feel like it's very set up in where we live and, and what they give to those different types of districts. It's just like the Hunger Games. Yeah.
3: It's settler colonialism at its finest to this day, right? Because you have two types of migration. You have, like, the migration of us, like, the economic and, you know, usually, like, for example, my family, like, you know, came from Colombia— and Mexico, and those are like economic. We're following our resources, right? Like the, the U.S. state steals our resources and our labor from our, these countries, and our and our families follow these resources. And then you have like the settler colonial migration, which is like these like corporate landlords, these big business interests that want to like buy up whole communities to like rent it out to like things like gentrified bougie kids or whatever. And it's like, you know, this constant struggle between, like, the two economic forces, Mm -hmm. right? Our national oppression, our oppression that's rooted in somebody, usually, like, a rich white dude, making money off of displacing us, selling our homes, which historically, like I said, were ours because of segregation and racism, like environmental racism. Barrio Logan, for example, the Yonkes, all these different junkyards, all the stuff that they've done to slowly poison the community. Now that it's attractive because of the culture and because of also just the, the... rising you know cost to live in san diego all these people from ohio michigan are like oh i want to go live in, in the sun and fun in the sun next to mexico and i get to look at all the culture and it's so much more fun uh now that there's a incentive an economic incentive uh to push us out just like how they pushed the cherokee nation out of out of mm-hmm. out of georgia for gold mm-hmm. uh they're pushing our people out but instead of gold it's uh it's land to the
0: oldest reason in the book uh, that's a good point i didn't think about that like we keep moving i i'm I'm kind of numb to it because I feel like every generation we got to keep moving. So it's like, yeah, we're going to keep moving. We've been having to because of the system that's set up. Yeah. So that's interesting you brought that up because there's always a reason. We're we're just trying
3: to follow our resources that they're taking Mm -hmm. from us and in the process of them taking from us, like I said, we build up up something for ourselves and then when it becomes attractive, they come in and take it and that's just the way it works with our national oppression on an economic basis. Uh, Capitalism is always trying to follow... Where it can make the quickest buck. Right. And that's why it trips me out is that when you see, like, like, for example, going to National City, these are this is an area where people were like, for 30 years, I had a family landlord who was just, like, a dude and his brother. And they never really raised the rent. Maybe, like, every five years they raised the rent. Yeah. They worked with us. And then, you know, they're getting all bought out. All these big, you know, little family landlords are getting bought out by big corporate landlords. Mm. And the landlord, the corporate landlords, look at them like a number. They're like, hey, Listen. I don't care that you're 80 years old. You lived here for 40 years. You built. You yeah. raised families. You did all, you, all. Everybody that's lived in this compass that has lived here for 20 years, they all know each other like a family. All y'all got to go, uh, and like you know, the fact it's like, it, and a lot of people that I would talk to when i would knock on these doors, they'd be like, "Wow, I can't believe this is happening." But as I study history, I am like, this is the latest in the series, right? Of, like, we go up, yeah. we build up, we work hard. We do the, like, you know, we work at the docks. We do, like, the the, the, the working-class jobs for the city of San Diego. And once we've served our purpose, we get pushed to the next spot, to the next spot to develop, mm-hmm. uh, to work as a cheap workforce uh, for—
0: Yeah, as new slaves. Know. Yeah. New slaves. We're going to build up America until we— <laughs> Until we destroy it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and
3: so, like, I know we've been, I can go off on for days. We can talk about gentrification for for days, I'm sure. But for, like, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, you were a, 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 a fairly socially conscious artist, right? Like, uh... Many artists like bristle or shy away from such labels or they use it in like a performative way you know like they're like oh like not in a way to actually like make a material change in their community uh, but you you know describe you discuss these issues you know in your in your in your work at great length uh, in your music and outside of it as well do you feel a responsibility give, to give back to the community and to help especially uh, you know given what has been uh, <clears throat> Happening to a lot of Black and Brown communities in regards to gentrification, and you know, do other artists share uh, an obligation to their communities as well? In your mind, do you do people that have a platform should they use that platform to try and build uh, a better community, a better world?
0: They should ask themselves if they should use that platform. Mm-hmm. I feel like everybody's journey is a little bit different. My, my journey has always echoed. That I just want to learn how to appreciate my life as much as possible while I'm inside of my life. And that just followed with working with the community Mm -hmm. and the path that I was just set on from like doing art with God, basically. That set me on a different type of path of how I wanted to communicate. I feel like everybody doesn't seem that same same path like maybe making music is like just another way to get money or maybe it's fun or mm-hmm. something they do with their
2: friends
0: they haven't necessarily found that path but i think that they should be aware of it and i tend to call myself a living artist because here, here's a story if i can mm-hmm. tell you yes. i was down at arts a reason to survive it's down in national city i live down there now over up Brick, brick road. We call mm-hmm. it black road because all the black people moving in. There's brothers down there, right? <laughs> now. But um, there was this brother down there uh, and he was taking this event planning course. And I ended up talking to him afterwards because he kind of stood out. He had the do-rag on. He was an older black gentleman. And he was talking to me about how he was taking this class so that he could prepare him for his wife's reception and her funeral. She had had cancer and she had passed and they, she was, he was telling me about how much he loved her and missed her, how he took care of her. But he was taking the course so he could do something that he needed to do in his life. That's how I always associated music. So people kind of get confused. Like I'm out there kind of living my life just back and forth because I'm, that is the most important thing to me. I'll make the music to enhance or maybe to articulate a certain perspective of my life to myself. But, like, I wanna eventually be a good father. I wanna be a good representation of myself. I wanna be as self aware as possible so I can give myself correctly to people. So, I do the music so it can enhance myself and prepare myself for situations in my life mm-hmm. so that I can be prepared for them. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily use it like that, but if people do use whatever craft they can for like a personal development tip, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's really, really helpful and useful so that you can teach yourself. You can be your own teacher. And I feel like there's no better time than right now where you can learn so much you can read so many books you can audio book you can get knowledge and resources sources in so many places mm-hmm. it's a great time to teach yourself get as much knowledge you have so much exposure exposure to all these different types of cultures you might as well well reach out to them, understand them, and build up your ability to empathize. Because when you have a child, you're going to have to empathize with that child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't know what they're going to grow up to be. You have to allow them to be their own self and not just what you want them to be. Right. So I have to learn that through my day-to-day practices during my life. And if I can use music to enhance that, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. But I'm trying to live my best life that I can yeah. in a genuine way with as much gratitude. Because I found that when I show and I give as much gratitude as I can, that my life and my person is better. Like, mm-hmm. I'm more giving the more giving or understanding that I am to other people.
1: Hmm. For
3: real, man.
0: Yeah, seems yeah. like that's
3: a very progressive take,
1: you know.
2: Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Now, several years ago, you released a short film called The Last Black Man in Barrio Logan, which was yeah. inspired by The Last Black Man in San Francisco, a short film from uh, Jimmy Felson and Joel Talbot, which is now being made into a full-length uh, motion picture.
0: My great-grandma moved from Pensacola, Florida to Barrio Logan in the 60s. Needless to say, it was a different time. Barrio Logan was full of black and brown people. Black folks were restricted from living anywhere else in San Diego. We were in the midst of the civil rights movement, and California was Mecca when it came to freedom. Barrio Logan was beautiful, and we flourished and connected through creative arts. The Black Panthers and the Brown Berets protected the neighborhood. Chicano Park was fought for, and the Coronado Bridge was painted. It was beautiful, but Barrio Logan was always fighting against industry, Economical structures like the Five Freeway divided the neighborhood. Then drugs hit. Crack displaced the black community to southeast. And PCP hit hard, converting lowrider clubs into gangs. By the 90s, people knew Barrio Logan as a place that you didn't want to be. Here we are, 30 years later, and people still view the Barrio as they did in the 90s. But the truth is that an alt-renaissance is taking place, just like there was in the 60s. The business owners, the painters, the recording artists, the DJs, the videographers, the photographers, skateboarders, the muralists, the artists are using their platform as a message and fighting for the Barrio. My name is Ramel Wallace, and I am one of them. And if you know anything about Barrio, you know that it's been fought over for a long time. The history is very complex. Barrio logo was occupied by Native Americans, Spaniards, Mexican, white folk. Shoot, even the Japanese were here building the railroads and for the silver rush. At the same time, slavery was ending and black folks were allowed to get jobs. That's the same time that my great grandma moved out here. My mother remembers growing up in that yellow house on Samson. And one reason I don't believe in coincidences is that my father ended up living in that same house 20 years later. I remember growing up there as well and going to church down the street. And for the sake of lineage, these lands were inherited. So I plan to fight for them, whether fighting gentrification, industry, politics, the status quo, the cops, genocide, or Donald Trump. The black people have already been gentrified from here, and I just might be the last black man in Barrio Logan my fight against the push, be a black business owner and buy back the streets that my family Mm -hmm. lived in and use music and education to do so. Uh, Tell us the reaction you received following the release of the
1: film and was was it what you were expecting, you know, be it the good praise
0: or the few detractors? (laughs) The last black man of our Logan, I was not expecting (laughs) any of that stuff. I was so inside of it because... I was trying to save the business, too. And I was learning. That's when I was really learning the history of my family,
2: mm-hmm.
0: where it was like, okay, we're running this studio. We're running a church. We're running the holy field, about 100 yards away from where I grew up and four generations of my family grew up. And I went to church like 10 years out of my life at, got baptized down there. Went to my was the ring bearer at my at my parents wedding down there. So I was just thinking about that. I wasn't thinking about anything else Mm -hmm. except my truth at that moment. So I put it up. I put up the trailer and the trailer got like it got like a lot of views. And then I put up the full one and it got a lot of views and it got a lot of comments Mm-hmm. So at first I had my comments on. So I was looking up, I was looking at every comment. I was reading every comment. Right. Some was good, some was horrible. Yeah. A, a lot were coming from different perspectives cuz some some people I'm still doing the knowledge but I mean I'm learning that some people say that this is Africa. Mm-hmm. That this is Africa. And so some people are like, nah, this is not Africa. What are you talking about? And so I, I saw all these different perspectives. And I, I took a lot of time and I, I studied a lot of these different perspectives that people were talking about. Mm-hmm. Some were people were saying, you know, you didn't include this. And this is how I see it. Or some people, you had the, you had a lot of different perspectives. Some people <laughs> called me a black supremacist. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I kind of love that title. I love, <laughs> something about it sounds tight to me. But I, I just, I kind of freaked out about all of them. I thought people were going to kill me. <laughs> Word for real? Yeah. yeah they, they had the bots, too. They had the Trump supporters, all that stuff. Oh, yeah.
1: Because this was like in 2016 when you dropped this, wasn't it? 2017, 2016. Yeah,
0: was that the time of, maybe the first picnic had happened? Oh, the first Patriot picnic. Yeah, Yeah. this this would have been uh, August twenty. Was this after the second one? No, that was. The second one was in February of 2017, I think. Okay, so. okay. Or was
1: it 2017? Was it 2018? The second one was in 2018. The first
0: uh, one was tense as well, too, because oh, I yeah. feel like Trump was like he was like newly appointed in. The world was changing. A lot of videos and people were like expressing their racism.
2: Yeah.
0: It was a different tone, and then that happened, and it was like you felt that. It was also that.
1: immediately following Charlottesville, too. Oh so yeah. It was in the shadow of that yeah. whole.
0: Oh, that was that was
1: that a, whole horrible thing. God, what a weird!
3: What a, that was a that was a really rough period for organizing because we were doing all the Charlottesville stuff and then we were at the Patriot picnic, both of them, uh, on the counter side,
1: obviously against. Yeah, we were there. We saw. We ran
3: into. Yeah, the- yeah. yeah,
0: we was there. That's that day. I see. It's a, t- for me. That day is so unfortunate because I feel like they won that day. That guy. I, <sighs> Is this like named like Derek Jefferson or something? Are
3: you talking about Roger Ogden or whatever? Or no, no, um, no,
0: no, the black guy that got killed that day. He oh, you're talking about Frederick
3: of... Jefferson. Yeah, Frederick. Yes, yeah, yeah. He got oh, killed shit. that
0: day. And it was, there was very little press on it. No, he, did, sorry, he, he didn't get beat, killed he that got day. Yeah, he got beat down. He was not even part of yeah. the protest. The video came out where the cop had punched him first. Yeah, yeah. They had told him to get off the street maybe twice. And then. <sighs> They hit him. And oh, then yeah. he hit him back. He got him good, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, he broke that fool's face. Yeah, the one. That was a one. And then oh, yeah. the cops swarmed on him. And there's pictures of people looking at him. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting that people took pictures of people looking at him. Mm-hmm. They're, you're tra- That's trauma when you see that type of shit. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. He ends up getting seven years, like, mm-hmm. maybe a year later. So oh, yeah. What, he's in jail for all this time. Oh, and yeah. And a year later, he gets sentenced. And it's way more than you would expect. And then... The next day, he ends up the they find him dead in yep. his cell. We just
3: interviewed um, the only the only person that really broke the story, made a this person. is an amazing jur- journalist and editor for uh, a local college newspaper, Southwestern, the Southwestern yeah, yeah. Sun. Yeah, we just ed- we just re- interviewed the, the editor there, and exactly that. Just like the lead, the depth of how that case was handled, and just like how greasy it was, like how they did ju- you know Frederick Jefferson so dirty. Uh, to specifically targeting him because of which is what he was wearing. That's what they they were targeting. Him. And specifically, the officer who attacked him, having a history of both racism and violence against like uh, black and brown people, you know, this, which was also broke. Which they was were, also yeah.
0: They were there to protect the patriots. Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember the feeling of there. They
1: were there for them. Well, I, funny enough, our last guest on here, Talcan, was uh, he made a very good point. He's like, go look back at the photos and the videos. He's like those guns were trained on us in the park. Black and brown people, those were the guns. Those were the guns were pointed.
0: None of those guns were aimed across the street. Those guns were all aimed at us. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: the fact that they even had to take, like, you know what I mean? Like, their names off of their uniforms and their patches off their uniforms and they have to look like some cyborg G.I. Joe wannabes (laughs) on top of a motherfucking bridge, you know what I mean? And it just goes to show you,
0: like, they've always treated that neighborhood like that. They wanted that park to be a, a, you know, California Highway Patrol substation, you know what I mean? And they still treat it as such, you know what I mean? There's a, there's a parking garage right next to uh, oh my gosh, Chicano yeah. Park where the police, you know, congregate. Oh yeah, and that that's it. The city, the city, or people pay. You know what I mean for that? For that, it's a city college parking yeah. lot, I believe. And uh, the pigs just post up in there. They got the code. They go there all hours yeah. of the night. They do, Lord knows what in there. Mm-hmm. You know what
3: I mean? Ready? Yeah, but that's uh, somehow we always come back to Patriot Picnic and I and you know, or specifically our auto defensa of it because I refuse fuck those people. I refuse to like even use the <laughs> they're name. They're gonna try to board.
0: come back. They're gonna try to come back. You know, uh, when, when we're we'll t- ready. Like yeah, the, we were ready yeah, last when, time. Exactly, when it becomes yeah, yeah. politically
1: relevant again and they need more attention, they'll come. They're like roaches. Okay? Yeah. They always come back, and we'll smash them. And boy. we'll be there again. Yes, exactly. Internets, don't touch that dial. Step off, radio will be right back. But first, a couple messages from friends of the show.
3: Yo, what's happening, Step Off magazine listeners? Quick break from the amazing content you've been listening to. One more here from the IA Podcast. You may be asking yourself, what is the IE Podcast? The Aid is a local radio show where we interview up-and-coming artists, creatives, and anyone who would like to share their backstory about why they do the things that they do. We dive deep into the life of the artist, bringing in-depth interviews, sharing stories in a raw and unfiltered format. A true podcast focusing on the artist, for the artist. You can listen at IAPodcast.com and on all streaming platforms. On the iTunes app, search IA Podcast. On the YouTube app, type in IA Podcast. That is I A T E
2: Podcast. And we hope you enjoy. All right, back to Step Off Magazine. Peace.
1: So since uh, since releasing that film, uh, you've also began a last uh, Black Man and Bar-Logan Airbnb experience. Um, tell the listeners exactly what that is and what the experience entails and what role your music plays in um, in uh, facilitating the story of Barrio logan so to say, through this experience.
0: Well, this experience is one of two things. The first thing... That I feel like is really important is the gig economy. Mm -hmm. And I feel like people in our demographic need to take advantage of it as a source of revenue coming in. So the gig economy is is things like um, Airbnb, things like Uber, things like Postmates, where you can get these different types of jobs where they pay you by the gig. It's a way to make extra money because, I mean, the rent is so high. I know a lot of people that have extra gigs. Mm -hmm. I also know a lot of artists, so they need to find other avenues and schedules to make money in. And these are a way for people to make money. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's important that people see someone doing it that looks like them. And so once I started to discover it, I did like a a delivery dash once, and then I was doing uh, Airbnb, and then I started to do the experiences, so, we were running the church, and we lived above it. Above it. it was like the perfect situation. Mm-hmm. We had brought maybe four, five people that we know. Abjo lived at the top. Dan lived at the top. I lived at the top. Teal lived at the top. Uh, Frank Luna lived at the top. And we had this uh, like organization type of thing. Mm-hmm. I went and I looked up the experiences, which is a part of the gig economy where you can rent time with people. And they can basically tag along where you just do what you do mm-hmm. if you do graffiti maybe they watch you or learn how to do graffiti from you mm-hmm. uh if you are a painter maybe they show you how to paint something or they paint something for you i was like okay I'm, I'm a rapper and i'm running this facility i can like set up a session where i can tell them about the neighborhood and i can have them record And so I looked up the Airbnb experiences and they didn't have them in San Diego yet. They had them all over the place. Mm -hmm. So we started knocking on the door. Well, I started knocking on the door like, yo, bring the experiences here. So I just started to do them. So my first experience was, I think I did title it The Last Black Man in Barrio Logan, but I showed them a film in the studio. No, wait, let me go back. Because that's when I started to do it legit. I just started to do it. People that would Airbnb my apartment upstairs I would say, oh, like... Would you just run this past them?
1: Like, it wasn't even something they signed up for. Yeah, I was
0: like, oh, do you want to go down? We can record you in the studio, either speaking so they could, like, document their travels, or we could have, like, a session. And so I would, like, you know, see what they were doing. Some people would have a guitar, and I'll definitely take them down there. This girl named Stephanie... She went down there, and she she showed me some music and everything like that. But now it's evolved where it's more um on a political stance, where I'm actually doing the official Last Black Man in Barrio Logan and and I'm um I'm telling them about things like redlining and the housing situations that had created these environments and these ghettos and how it's connected to government policy and mm-hmm. what people end up voting for and how a lot of uh, gerrymandering has influenced what gets passed into law. So I'm trying to put put people on game of how the law works and why we are in Barrio Logan and what's developing, what the people are fighting for, what the people have been fighting against, the creation of the Five Freeway, the creation of the the Coronado Bridge, and Mm -hmm. how it has actually affected the people in that community Mm -hmm. and the, the generations afterwards. So I'll show them a short film... Uh, I'll show them The Last Black men of Barrio Logan and I'll also show them a film called Spiritualized where we kind of t- speak on how a lot of jobs have been gentr- gentrified out of something like fine art. Mm-hmm. And really the only difference is uh, price, a price gap. Fine art many times is worth so much more than say a street art or some other type of art. But these other type of worlds... They get separated by money and by business, but I go through a long list of things to them. I show them a couple films. We go to dinner at Salute. I might take them to Black Expression or give them a tour around the neighborhood. Basically, but on the pragmatic scale, it's like look, know your environment that you're in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Have knowledge of self and your environment. And do that to the utmost, because that's going to bring a certain value back to yourself. There's a value in knowing about where you're from, why you're there, the identity of yourself and the identity of the environment and the people in the environment, whatever you can pull from that, because it's always going to be different from other people. Mm -hmm. I might do it where it's a story of my family. Someone else might do it on, I don't know what other people's talents and passions are, but... Do the knowledge of whatever you are and your environment is, and that's going to come out. I hope people can pull that out of those experiences. And mm-hmm. so I've had all different ones. Some people were a little bit offended by what I was talking about. Some people are open. Some people didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so I'm still doing those, but on a on a lesser scale. But to expose different people to these conversations, it's mm-hmm. like sitting at the table at a black family
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh Dinner time and you just kind of have those conversations that like a lot of races ha a lot of races have different conversations when it comes to the dinner table. Yeah. Like a Mexican family will have a different one that they don't necessarily tell the black people, the black people got they one where <laughs> they don't tell the other people, the white people got they ones, they don't <laughs> tell their secrets out outside of theirs. So it's like let me attempt to break the fourth wall mm-hmm. uh-huh. and have those conversations and tell people how uh, I feel.
1: Mm-hmm. No
0: doubt. Yeah, that sounds like an awesome experience <laughs> just considering that
3: like I've stayed in Airbnbs and it's, I would have appreciated something like that a little bit more of like, know the city that I'm staying in in a deeper, more intimate way rather than just like, <clears throat> Like Barrio Logan, people that come to Barrio Logan, if they know anything about the murals or they know anything about the history, may just go and be like, look at the look at the murals, it's so pretty or whatever. But to have the in depth experience of actually like having someone be like, no, this let me tell you about the community and what the and historical about, context, yeah, in a deeper, more intimate way. That's that's something that like I think is worth worth way more than like uh, probably uh, people were paying for because yeah. like to get a first-hand experience like that is. Um, It's something that I'm sure, like, I would have appreciated.
0: Yeah, Uh, like, if you go to a gallery with someone that, like, knows stuff about the art in the gallery versus, say, you go by yourself or mm -hmm. versus, say, you go, like, during the opening, the openings are always just too much. I can't really digest everything about the art. Mm -hmm. It's about, like, the people that's there. Like, you get so much more value out of the gallery Mm -hmm. if you go with someone that, that knows the exactly. stuff about the the things that are in the gallery Comparing so yeah. like the gallery to You know Where where we live, wherever you live at Yeah, yeah. So like
3: something that I just heard about from Rob Was a social and like an artistic experiment That you did called the white
1: privilege sold here
3: Well I uh, didn't
0: do that one, I don't want to take credit For that one oh, okay. Well you,
1: you participated in it though
0: I was lucky enough to participate in that That was Ooh, okay. crazy how
3: was that like can you tell me a little bit cuz i actually i heard that it was in city b i don't know too much about it but uh, it was it made the listeners. cover
0: of the city b okay so i don't know the 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 gentleman's gallery that it was inside of mm-hmm. but i know that they linked up with black expression and within that you had the people that were part of black expression running this storefront that they had created and so they made these little like mock up windows and everything where it was like black people Getting these white privilege cards. Mm -hmm. So it was saying, like, if you have your white privilege card, the cops won't mess with you or nothing. (laughs) You'll have great credit. So it was almost like a DMV. Yeah. Like, you go, you walk in, everybody got their certain clothes on, they got the white privilege shirts on, and you fill out these papers and everything, whatever color you want to be, and they explain to you what you receive with your white privilege. Yeah. Now you can get any type of loan. You can live anywhere that you want. You don't have to worry about any redlining. Mm -hmm. And in my head, I'm thinking about all the things that, you know, are these white privilege things. Yeah. Which, I mean, for me, it's just like, it's like these standard living things that we should all be receiving. Right. (laughs) Like, there's just the the feeling of feeling like you could do anything since you're a child Mm -hmm. like that human dignity yeah Yeah. basic (laughs) human dignity so now you have the card so you now now i can finally get my dignity (laughs) but it was this i guess social experience that they had done right over in logan heights and that's really where a lot of black people were living at in, in san diego for a long time but that was super cool. Now they're about to move it to LA and they're going to take it to other locations. Yeah, cool. But that was that was awesome. No, no wait, I got my card. I, think. <laughs> <laughs> I got my card. Yeah, I always carry my white privilege card. <laughs> right. I always carry it. You heard it here on Step Off Radio. <laughs> <laughs> that is, it says I'm from Cardiff. See, see, this is white privilege. What people don't know about is usually white people are donors too. Mm, That's mm. what I noticed. Black people, we... Believe that they still are organs, and so why would I ever be a donor if they're making me a donor anyways but Right. We're pretty sure they're still in our organs, so we don't really—we're already paranoid about <laughs> it. So like,
2: I, I can go off for days about know, the, like exploitation know, right? of our bi- <laughs>
3: uh, biomedical and like and stuff. Like, yeah, oh yeah, plasma. I can talk about plasma but they I didn't know why interested. I was
0: scared to, uh, to be a donor before. Yeah. I had to—I re- had to learn that. I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, like the see,
3: the, exactly that. Like, some, so that sounds like an interesting thing. And then today, I mean, just recently today, I was watching. Uh, you just recently released a music video for the song called "Entitled Monsters," right? And in this music video, it's like a short film uh, that features like chapters of a mother and daughter and tackles the idea of monsters and how they transform as you age. It seems right. Uh, You said that this is personally one of the proudest accomplishments you've had and the opportunity to work uh, on this is one of these pieces of work that requires multiple viewings. Uh, What was the catalyst... to, like, produce and make this song uh, and what ultimately led to the developing of the concept of the video, you know? Because I, I was watching it, and I, I, I don't know. I'll, I've, I've watched a few of your videos. I like the, the art, the style. Like, the, the cinematography is, like, is, is as on point as the music itself, and I appreciate that. Like, the quality of the videos Thank are you. good. Uh, but what, what, what was going into specifically this one? Because I, uh, I, I, like, I liked it a lot. I watched it, like, four Thank times you. this morning. I really
0: appreciate that. Just Honesty. Honesty and an experience. And, I mean, uh, some people might not believe it, but we shot that video for maybe eight months. Mm -hmm. So it was with Mahal, who I have known since she was about two years old, young black child, uh, Bree's daughter. We would take her to all these different types of events and show her culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're half Filipino, half black, and they'd be at all these different types of events. So she was exposing her daughter... To I feel like people in a, in their genuine states where yeah. they're not really on a stage of like work or these other type of environments or maybe people sh- put up a front a front of family. She was showing her these other environments, which I always thought was incredible. So I've always wanted to help in that process because mm-hmm. I mean I love Brie, I love Mahal, and they were really the main stars of Monsters. Mm-hmm. So we spent we got to spend a year with them and and film this. and I mean. Really, it's because a lot of people have jobs. Uh, A lot of people have work. A lot of people are busy. So a lot of time was just spent organizing and getting what we could, filming a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, and knowing that the importance of her getting that experience was really the catalyst of of a lot of it. The song was one of the most important to me because I had wrote it it was the first song that I wrote when I came back from the Grammys in 2015. And that was a crazy experience to me because it was February. I had won this crazy contest where they had anointed me the Delta Airlines Innovation Class winner for 2015. And they flew me out to the Grammys. And I met Ryan Lewis, uh, Mac Miller's producer. Mm-hmm. And I went to the Grammys. And I was kind of devastated by it a little bit. But what had got me there to see this experience, I feel like it was my grandma speaking, because her birthday was February 6th. My favorite cousin, Dominic Shields, no, sorry, she had died on February 6th. My favorite cousin's birthday was on February 6th. Jay Dilla's birthday was also in that month. And so I'm thinking about all these things. I remember when I was there I, I had gotten a fight with my girlfriend too. So I'm thinking about these things. I'm thinking about my demise. I'm thinking about what has created this person and and how do I get my honest self across to people to the most amount of people that I can. Mm-hmm. And I feel like all that went into that song. All those budding emotions really went into that song where it was something that I I had never made anything like that. It was just kind of like capturing these different spirits of thoughts that were entering me. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like we just had to respect it as much as we can. Uh, I feel like it's very important to highlight black women when a lot of them are never put as the stars of anything. Mm -hmm. So the video before that, My Mama Black, we had Milan Finney as the main character. When it came to Monsters, we had Mahal and Bree as the main characters. So that's something I want to continue to echo. And I feel like I have to speak it because I don't think people notice it, but that's something that I'm purposely doing with my artwork is to highlight the black woman Mm -hmm. because I feel like a lot of times in media uh, they're not highlighted and therefore a lot of times cannot be empathized with Mm because people don't understand them. And so... Monsters is my best work because I can continue that cycle and I feel like I'm getting better at it. I, I co-directed the Monsters mm-hmm. and um, Omar was a cinematographer and main director and Dan helped out a lot too. Uh, he's the producer, but that's my proudest work. I'm just glad what story is portrayed in that and then how many people in the community we could get involved in it. Because if you look at the cuts, there's probably about maybe 30 or 40 people hidden in Monsters. Mm -hmm. in my mama black there's about the same amount of people that are inside of that but i feel like it's very important to see people in those places and for people to have the opportunity to see themselves in those places and associated with some type of like hard type of media like i'm looking at different media projects as different maybe bibles Mm
2: -hmm.
0: where people can look back and say oh man i'm in the bible or like not to say (laughs) my stuff is biblical but like to look back at media I feel yeah. like the Bible is media, and I'm sorry for some people. I feel like <laughs> nah, it's I media. It for you to look back at media and notice that you're a part of it, that's like a history book. You exactly, a reflection of book.
1: yourself and yes. your know, greater culture. Yeah. yeah. So I want
0: to
3: keep. I thought, yeah, and I just think it was great what you said about like specifically like um, amplifying the voices of, uh, 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 of women in our community, right? Because that's something specifically as 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 men that's like a responsibility that we we have to we have to take on, right? Is that like is that like um, a lot of the people that like we talk to, right, that are that, that will have sexism and like in, and 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 just like talk over women use and you know really aggressive communication styles and and like you mentioned, don't don't center like our like don't center women in uh, in media or in art uh, using our platforms, our positions, right, like um, to to bring those issues into the center and to be like, no, like if you're not going to listen to them, you're going to listen to me, right, like because mm-hmm. then that's the way that we can be allies and center. Um, all of our liberation together, right? Uh, so I appreciated that because I I did notice that too. And then and, and uh, my mom like I appreciated that there was a lot of just images like thick, really quick images of, of the community, just like really really thrown in there. And that was like like you mentioned in its own way like uh, a preservation of that community in in history. In and like still moment like you could look back and be like, listen, that was me. Like that was me in that time. Yeah. And kind of like how when we were on video doing s- s- ten shades of stuff, you know, whether it be like <laughs> yelling into a microphone or something, it's like you. Know, People can say a lot of stuff, but they can look back and be like, "I was, I was that person that cared enough to be to do something, to make art, to do this," and I appreciate that.
2: Thank
0: you, thank you. It's, it's important. I know how much history, but well, I guess we never, we never will know how much history has been lost.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: how much stuff has not been documented and has been hidden because of that. So I feel like that's that's part of the fight to document the history as as it's happening. Now go- going
1: on with documentation of history, uh, you actually recently became an official board member of uh, the San Diego African-American Museum of Fine Art.
2: Oh, yeah, that's cool.
1: Um, in the past, you've expressed that you have wished to convey to a broader audience that hip-hop is not just music, it is also fine art. Um, what duties and responsibilities are entailed being a board member now? Um, how do you wish to bridge the gap between older generations and the so-called hip-hop generation with this new position?
0: right now i'm um I'm building a subcommittee, mm-hmm. and so the goal is to bring different parts of black San Diego together uh different organizations of black San Diego together so we can use this opportunity uh to unify in some type of way and wow, the fact that I'm on the board tobaso <laughs> wow <laughs> but i I feel like it it goes back to how i entered hip-hop the fact that i was writing these rhymes to god that was the highest form of art that was fine art to me yeah and i feel like if people can create art on their highest level if that's how they associate it i feel like it could um go a lot further but I feel like we need unity for it to go further, because a lot of those people are in, they're in silos by themselves when they're speaking so much truth. They just need a community, or they just need the more leadership skills so that they can learn how to rile up the community uh, to work together. And sometimes, a lot of times, that's out of just making the music. Mm-hmm. It's 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 people that are hitting walls where they're saying the things that they want, but they're not. Their actions don't match their words. And it's quite easy to do that in hip-hop. So how can you make the actions match the words? I feel like you you even have to hold it higher Mm -hmm. than what you've learned it to be. Because we're learning it that it's just like art or street art or it's just something someone did in a notepad. It's not really important until it gets this certain title. Mm -hmm. And so I'm looking at all titles like that where like, oh, people don't feel important unless they have some sort of accomplishment that was fed into their way of thinking. There's some kind of metal attack on. Yeah. yeah. I want to let people know that you cannot be shit and you the shit. You don't have to be anything to be something incredible. You don't have to be anything to be God. You just being alive, living your life, you are, you're a great person. You're a great person with what you do because I mean, a lot of even artists get... We get sucked into it where we have to do our art. And maybe that may be the only way of validation that we get out of our lives. And mm-hmm. that's where we sense our value. But to learn that our value is in everything that we do. Like, our life is art. Like, you, we are the art pieces of the earth. And, and we're important.
2: Mm-hmm. How can we
0: dig that importance out of ourselves and take ourselves to that higher level?
2: Mm-hmm. So...
0: Within the African-American Museum of Fine Art, I'm soaking up as much game. Gaidi is, is a great person. He He's the executive director. He's also part of the ASha project. And he is giving me a lot of knowledge. He's giving me a lot of resources that I can then pass down to other organizations, other people, other people in different gener, gener, generations, other mm-hmm. people that are in different creeds I can give different resources. Mm-hmm. So with the community that and the subcommittee that I built, I can help funnel those resources in a lot better way than if I'm in a silo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And that's the only way it's going to work because the goal is to introduce older black San Diego to the younger black San Diego and all in between so that they can be in those places that they feel like they're not allowed. Mm-hmm. I feel like we feel like we've been gentrified out of museums and i'm trying to say "Nah, we here they mm-hmm, thought yeah. they tried to get rid of no nah, we right here <laughs> yeah come on come on over here get up here yeah. get on stage <laughs> i'm trying to tell everybody get on stage let's get let's get this yeah. and so that's my goal i think they saw my work with um the videos i've been doing and what i've been trying to highlight and everything that i was doing at the church mm-hmm. and, and the holy field and and they support and um God, that's been an amazing experience. But we're planning for something in in August mm-hmm. at the San Diego Museum of Art, and then we have a few other things like the food fest on in May 18th mm-hmm. that we're doing down in Malcolm X um, Library. And so, yeah. But I'm soaking up awesome. game. That's that's my. I'm soaking up game, and I'm, I'm unify <coughs> as many people as I can. And I need to send them the email. I need to send everybody. An email <laughs> because I got everybody on there. Yeah, so I
3: know that the last time you had spoken with Rob uh, Robert, you said that you were transi- in a transitory moment, like transitioning, and that your community work was uh, beginning to surpass your music work. Uh, with your latest position of becoming a board member for, you know, obviously the San Diego African American Museum of Fine Arts, uh, it appears that you've taken that goal to heart, while music is a very important aspect of your life. At this point, do you see it really, like, starting to take... Like a less, a less, more present, like forward role uh, or, uh, to the community work uh, that you're becoming more engaged in, or is it just as relevant as it as always been? Every day
0: be? I get a reminder of how they're the same thing. Mm-hmm. I, I looked up James Baldwin. There yep. we and go. And yeah. Boy, did I never know he made music. Yeah. I said, What? Earlier this year, I was reading a book by Coretta Scott King. Mm-hmm. She called herself a dramatic storyteller, and she was a singer. Mm-hmm. So she would tell her stories and she would sing and then she would kind of she made this thing where she that was her set. Mm-hmm. She would tell stories, sing, tell stories, sing. Mm-hmm. And I keep seeing this. Cornell West got has a couple of albums. <laughs> and I'm like, "Whoa, oh okay. This is not new. This is not new." Nipsey Hussle. Yeah. Nipsey yeah. Hussle tons of music but he's doing all these things outside of music there's not a reason why they both can't hold the same space
1: yeah yeah absolutely
0: and I feel like that's so healthy for even my political type of views where I can think more broadly where I'm not just stuck in a certain box it's like okay I'm allowed to think these other things maybe I didn't I haven't learned yet mm-hmm. and I feel like that is a lot really healthy for the other side a lot (laughs) think things that they haven't they haven't necessarily thought of before or weren't introduced or wasn't part of their nostalgic experience there's something that's different
3: out there but but and as you mentioned like yeah there's a lot of like community organizers that that grow up being creatives right like they're artists they're musicians they're like even one of my favorite people I love Paul Robeson because Paul Robeson just tears up the HUAC like this commit, this congressional committee uh, and they specifically you know bring up that like oh his rhetorical style that he was like a gifted public speaker with a deep powerful voice and he brings up that like I am a trained like bass like I'm an actual I've studied I've studied like I've, I'm am a I'm a practiced artist and that like and that informs his like decision making or his like the ability to, 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 I think, to see a better world, right, takes that kind of creativity, takes that inspiration and that belief, right, that you can, that you can create something that is not just like what's right in front of you. And uh, so, yeah, like I think that's very interesting what you said that, like they're they take the that they're not mutually exclusive, that they should take, like they can and they should sometimes take up the same space, uh, because we can connect with the masses in such a way. Like, you brought up, uh, like, Nipsey and all these other people, right, that, like, we're able to connect with a wide group of people and connect it to, like, a build your community, build your base, build, like, build uh, build something, like, um, real, right? Uh, I think uh, that's a, per- a perfect example of how relevant and specific- specifically how, like, important, like, music is to the revolution. Uh, it's yeah. so
0: important. I mean, I went to the Nipsey um, vigil, which... I just learned that word. I'm not going to lie.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I went to it yesterday, and I feel like that's a testament to how powerful it is when you do the complete 360 of things. You mm-hmm. you allow yourself to hold a bigger space in, in time, in past your being. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it becomes really, I don't know. there's something very magical about it. Mm Because it's like, I'm thinking about him, I'm listening to the music, and I'm like, dang, it's like he wrote his own eulogy with this type of stuff. Like, this is a testament to who this man is after after he's gone.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Potentially, like I said, it it immortalizes people. It makes you uh, enshrine in the memories of so many people. That's
0: why they hate artists a lot, because a lot of artists get flack. Like, I feel like rapper is the new way to call somebody a, a nigga, it's like this, it's, it really is, they're like... I've noticed myself, like, when I say that I do music, that's like the, oh, type of thing. And mm-hmm. it, it gives people a reason not to listen to you mm-hmm. a lot of times. And that, that needs to be broken because you can look at the past of what artists have done, of all the architecture that you have seen mm-hmm. and see what you remember, and I guarantee you all the shit that you remember... Whether it's hieroglyphics, whether it's a pyramid, whether it's a poem, most of that shit is is art. I'm yeah, this make that shit. Yeah, so it's like that's what you that's what people idolize, and then people try <laughs> to bastardize people that are in art. Yeah, so it's like I'm gonna give you all of it, and then see. Have you have you
3: noticed this too, Rob? Where like in a certain way, like I've been seeing it with like Mexican cuisine, right? Where they're trying to like. Where there's, like, this idea, right, that Mexican food is, like, something you get at a taco shop cheap. It's cheap. It's not not cuisine. It's not, like, it's not. And then there's, like, a, a movement within, like, Mexican chefs and cuisine to be, like, no. We make, our food is, is not cheap food. It's, it's not, not, like. It's not disposable. Yeah, it's not fast food. It's not something that, like, you know, that that our culture in, like, in our, you know, music food, whatever, you know, we're talking about, um, is art. Is something to be appreciated more than just as, like, a cheap, con- you know, thing that you can kind of just toss in a garbage can after, like two minutes of enjoyment, you know? Yeah, mean
0: that's crazy. I never thought about it like Yeah, that. it's weird. It's I like we're living in a weird time. That. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's like I could, that shouldn't be as much as whatever the bullshit steak is or I hate French Trader food. Joe's. I just hate how I feel when I'm in Trader Joe's because I feel like, oh, why don't I know about this food? took <laughs> it away from us. We can't even eat healthy. I'm <laughs> so angry here at Trader Joe's. It's mm-hmm. more expensive. How much money they got? Oh, and yeah. Whole Foods blocked me, and I don't know why they blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Come on, Whole Foods.
3: Why, <laughs> yeah. why? Why Tell
0: me why. <laughs>
1: I'm
0: alive, <laughs> real J. Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh. But yeah, our our food should be that expensive. Mm-hmm. Right. Damn. Yeah. Damn. and our
3: music right like everything yeah. like there's this idea that everything that we produce is just for like base level consumption And it's not like you said fine art but it's like no like it's it's a it's a subtle i think testament to like the settler colonial white supremacist structure that we live under where even the things that we can invest all of our resource creative resources into right like you know that are deep that are telling stories that like that aren't accessible to like the white settler colonial class that 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 runs the society uh they could just you know, they shouldn't have the power to just be able to disregard it as like fast food or or something just for like, you know, oh that's not that's not art, it's just for base level consumption. It's like, no, like we should be the ones to decide what is yeah. our art,
1: you know? Our art and our culture is not just up for consumption. It's not yeah. simply that something that's merely disposable, that you could just throw it away. That's precisely that's the that. takeaway I like.
2: Yeah,
0: so that
1: it. by you in this new position that you can put that out there and tell people that our culture, our art doesn't have to be something that is just merely tossed away. It's something that could be held up in high regards, like other quote-unquote fine art as well.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
3: Why the hell is French food so expensive, right? But I've, like, I don't know. I've had one of my favorite things is lengua, right? So, my birthday every year, I have cow tongue. That's what I have. Mm-hmm. And, like, the way my grandma makes that, it's a, it's oh, delicious. It's a long process. Mm-hmm. It's a smelly process sometimes. You know, boil a damn tongue. I don't know. if Anyone that ever smells a tongue or smells this tongue, it's not great. But what I'm saying is that that is just as much time, so it takes as much as expertise yeah. as whatever, like, super fancy French cuisine, but it's escargot. not European. <laughs> yeah, escargot. I love escargot. Don't get me wrong. I'll eat some snails. But nonetheless, like, it, This, like I said, the distinction is, like, one of these one of these things is made by brown people and the other one isn't, right? Yeah. And there, and therein creates the class of, like, one's fancier than the other one.
0: If you've ever had to clean some chitlins, <laughs> you should get paid a lot of money. Yeah.
3: You should be getting the big bucks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like Menudo for us. Like, if you ever spoil yes. Menudo, oh, oh my God. Oh. That
0: is like, it'll stink up your oh, house man. for days. Oh, spoiled Menudo probably smell like chitlin smell. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's
1: akin to that.
0: Mm. Oh, God.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, so as 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 listeners can, and anyone listening to this interviewer who's listened to your music they could everyone knows that one of your many gifts as an MC is possesses a talent of being a natural intricate storyteller um in your music it seems like you're able to effortlessly paint a picture for listeners to see in their head through the words in your music uh, where do you think your natural abilities as a storyteller come from is it something that's innate or is it something that you've had to develop and foster over the well years?
0: unfortunately as a child i was so scared of going to hell so that's why I was trying to write these raps. I was <laughs> trying to write this. I was like, if God does not like this prayer, I'm definitely getting a one-way ticket. Right. <laughs> so, so many times I've thought that I was going to hell. I was like, okay, I got to do it. I have to do something. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was just trying a lot harder because I heard horrible things about hell. And, it's, I mean, a lot of it is out of necessity. I tie it back into like the things that I want to accomplish and put myself on game to mm-hmm. or maybe leave as something for my, my future children to mm-hmm. find so I feel like it needs to be as articulate as I would like it to be especially the older I get in my age I'm more specific on the stories that I want to tell mm-hmm. and I I write all the time I write all the time I try to meet people I feel like music makes me live more Cause then I go out and my I do a podcast and talk to more people where I normally wouldn't have this conversation, I, uh, I read more books because I know I want to transfer the knowledge more, mm-hmm. but yeah, I I write all the time and it's hard. It's oh yeah, it's hard. It's almost like holding a yoga pose or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just try to be aware though. It's a practice of awareness, like. Whether it's like looking at the sneaker box and the tickets and how these look like vinyls. Like trying to be aware of my environment so that I can remember more. I feel like something's really valuable about about that. And when I get in my older age, I want to be able to look back on my life on certain situations where it can be vivid. I feel like one of the things as I'm doing my own knowledge is that a crystal clear vision in the mind is very powerful. Like, sometimes, Mm -hmm. like, my vision has literally literally been clouded. Like, I can't, like, visually see something in my thoughts. Mm -hmm. And when I can really see it and hold it in my hand, it's a lot more powerful. Oh, yeah. So, if I could put that in whatever story I'm telling or rap I'm telling, it'll be more impactful. And I can, therefore, I guess, help evolution Better, mm-hmm. cause I'm gonna I'm only here for a short amount of time, mm-hmm. and man, I've been listening to a lot of Nipsey, and I, the marathon continues <laughs> was the one I first listened to, and then I think he has a a, a cut from um, Steve Jobs where he says you don't want to die living somebody else's life, like one yeah. of life's greatest in, in inventions is death, and so it's something that is inevitably it's, it's inevitably gonna happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what can I leave before? This is my desperation. This is like me throwing rocks at the sun of like, I'm going to build something like as human as like, you know, I want to make something that someone's going to see or remember or be affected by or plant some type of seed. Like all those desperations of wanting to live further past my existence. It's there in... It's in the music. Like I'm, it's in my aspirations to connect with people. Like, I have to. I have to. I have to. And I feel like that's just part of the human psyche that we want to leave something in the world that makes it better. Mm-hmm. We have different ways of seeing what is better, but we ultimately want to leave something that makes the world some type of better place. And that... All, all these are just you know jabs uppercuts attempts at me to do that in some type of way
1: don't go anywhere step off radio be right back
3: what up step off radio this is nate witzel with SDLovesHipHop.com if you vibe with rob and the good folks here at step off magazine then chances are you'll love what's going
2: on with the SD Loves Hip Hop Podcast. It's available on all streaming platforms. We recently had San Diego's own Odessa Kane, Bay Area Spitter Locksmith, and
3: 2018 SDMA Artist of the Year nominee Parker Edison on the podcast. Right now we have DJ Bar One, South Central MC Jag, both on deck.
2: Come and be a part of the conversation on hip hop as a catalyst for change over at sdloveshiphop.com. Again, that's SD like San Diego. SD loves Peace, love, and hip hop. To
1: bring this topic of the music more on a micro level, let's bring it here locally to San Diego. Um, San Diego has a relatively small but a very dedicated and active hip-hop community. Uh, That being said, San Diego's hip-hop community is not something that is necessarily synonymous um, to the city like other regions in the state, such as LA or the Bay Area. How has the size and to an extent the obscurity of San Diego's local hip-hop scene impacted your experience here as an artist in regards to you making music and performing?
0: Hmm. I mean, right now, I feel like there's no better time in San Diego hip-hop. Yeah. I feel like it's really uh, strong. There's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of support. Um, But where I learned about the obscurity of San Diego hip-hop is, it's like San Diego is like a Pleasantville. Or it's like uh, Edward Scissorhands or Beetlejuice. It's this really weird, perfect type of environment. So once you have that type of ecosystem, you get a counterculture that gets created. Mm -hmm. So we have a pretty subverse counterculture in a lot of terms because we have this standard Pleasantville Mm -hmm. in San Diego. And so... I, I get my roots from that obscurity of that subculture that got created in San Diego hip-hop where I didn't come from the, the gangster side. I more so came for like, it was like this dark psychedelic hip-hop version Mm -hmm. like masters of the universe and people are coming out there and for me what they were preaching was be yourself completely as possible Mm -hmm. and that's gonna be the dopest thing you can do because when you go into these scenes you don't necessarily see like one type of style you see people so specific to their style that it's ridiculous like you can even associate it with the b-boys out here some of the b-boys we got a big b-boy scene mm. you'll see some people move you think you've seen every move every a- anywhere but somebody will move in some <laughs> other type of way You'd be like dang that's really them mm-hmm. that's really that person right there and those different elements are what i came into san diego hip-hop from where i want to be the best reflection of who i am internally mm-hmm. when it comes to making music and i feel like this environment created like a subculture in all of us it's like all of us are externally subcultures like mm-hmm. you think you might know someone like like that but it's like no nah, you really got to get to know them mm-hmm. you really got to get to know them and on a on the bigger scale it's like people need to do that in general but just on a day-to-day life scale it in the hip-hop scene, it allows more growth and more diversity. And now that a lot of support is there, I mean, there's hate. There's always going to be hate. But mm-hmm. people are supporting mm-hmm. like like no other right now. And and it's cool. It's a different generation. But... Especially within the scene itself.
1: You know, yeah. It's like immense support. It's, it's interesting because I've been, I've been asked like several times to kind of describe the sound of San Diego. And there's a lot of different kind of sex, so to say. Of the music, everyone's kind of doing like their own yeah. thing, you know. There's not really a, there's not really a regional sound. I don't even know really a regional sound is even a thing anymore with the internet, so to say.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. For a while, we were we were copying copying a lot of LA stuff. Dang, we were kind of like one of the first places to kind of copy all the styles. <laughs> now everybody's doing that. We didn't have an identity. Now the identity is to not have an identity. Yeah, yeah. and that's
3: something that I've we've, I've noticed. Like, um, like you we were kind of man- you were kind of mentioning that because of like the the relative obscurity, right, of the scene. It kind of develops like a counterculture that's like unique in its own way of like being like, well, we're small, but it's not quantity; it's quality, or it's quality, not quantity, right? It's like there's yeah. not a lot of it, but then it gives people the the ability to be like uh, to kind of set their own rules rather than having to conform to a pre-existing structure already. Um, and I think that's something that, like, you know, even we see in organizing that's unique about San Diego, because, like you mentioned, it's like a, a place for retirees, a place for, like, people that come, they enjoy the Navy, the military, there's a large military, and a lot of these, like, tech bro people that come yeah. to work. <clears throat> uh, but then there are the rest of us who kind of have to exist with those people, and in, that, in, in those kind of spaces, We've created our own kind of unique, not LA, but not like hating on LA either. Uh, but like our own culture down here, that's kind of its. It's very its interesting own thing. dichotomy. Yeah, it's really yeah. weird. It's interesting. <laughs>
0: And then we're one of the, I mean, the border is, like, one of the mm. biggest issues in America right now. Oh, yeah. So I feel like we digest media, especially if you're part of that subculture. We digest media pretty interesting because we see certain lies that they're saying on there. It's like,
2: we, we live, live it. Yeah, we, we are live. right
0: next to the border. What right? are they talking about? Yeah. We're right here. And, but you see the stories, and you're like, dang, they can really paint it like that. Huh? Oh, yeah. They really don't paint it like that.
1: Sometimes, I think, well, a lot of times, like we got, like, a a better nose to sniff out the bullshit when it comes to the lies they tell about the border
0: Yeah, here.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, that fool was just here, right? He was just at Calexico yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. Just yesterday. Uh, I know that the, they were flying that baby Trump somewhere in <laughs> Calexico. Like, when did they did, – are they going
0: to finish the wall?
3: Did they really get the money to uh, – This yeah. will, like, honestly, like – Exist Existing piece yeah, all Yeah, Yeah, it's, it's all, like, we're seeing a lot of stuff, right? Like, he's – this dude, I'm – if anything, today's the sixth, right? Yeah. I'm – My thoughts and prayers to the people of Venezuela right now that for Juan Guaido and all these other people, because they're trying to like, the US is trying to like, coup this entire country. But we're living in a time where. Like, whether or not he builds that, like, the literal wall, these, like, ideological walls, the capitalist walls that are t- pushing people in the desert, they're pushing families into concentration camps. Mm, like, yeah. those are not going nowhere. Whether or not there's a concrete wall, this dude Gosh, is... Gosh, they
0: got the sexual assault thing to happen. Oh, yeah. boy, yeah. It's like, don't they know? Don't, don't people know when you do that? That's yeah. what happens in places? Yeah. That's what happens. You gonna act like it's not separate? Like, putting all these people in there and then, like, sexual assault is... Yeah. see that's the for me that's what monsters is oh yeah that's how monsters get created cause it's like you done made this stew and what the fuck you think is gonna happen in that stew right mm-hmm. so- you separate thousands of people from their kids like
3: that's by the definition of what the UN calls ethnic cleansing like you were you were ethnically cleansing our people by separating families yeah. by like you know putting traumatizing entire generations and like i don't think the the ramifications are truly going to be felt until like we're all old like we're going to be seeing a whole generation yeah, that's coming how it up it
0: works too that's how you're going to
1: see a well if we're still around you're going to see a bunch of documentaries come out in about 20, oh, yeah. 20 years of adults recounting being Traumatizes children because of yeah. this. Oh, and, yeah, or, yeah, And people who lost children who will never be returned to them. But, you know, and that's why, like you said, it's
3: important that, like, you know, we do this stuff kind of like we're doing right now, right? Is that, like, this is not going to stop unless we make it stop. Yeah. It never has. Like, never once. Like, even, like, what was it? Martin Luther King Jr. said, uh, a riot is the is the voice of the unheard, mm-hmm. right? And, like, uh, you know, eventually, like, uh, this kind of thing just, you know, you can't keep happening. But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> we went all, we, I can talk about the border all day because... As we all probably know, the NBC released that article. A lot of people that we organize, obviously, as you see, like, border stuff every so often. Uh, We work on a coalition, the San Diego uh, Refugee and Migrant Solidarity Coalition. And uh, the thing that we organized in November, I don't know if you saw the article that NBC published from the DHS just had a bunch of leaks. Uh, They have been tracking and kind of uh, creating dossiers on local organizers and activists who have been helping to try and, like, Bring clothing and coordinate with the migrant caravan. Uh, these people fleeing violence from Honduras uh, that had a U.S. coup, so the U.S. destroys the government of Honduras. People are fleeing following the resources here, and the FBI and the DHS respond by putting the people who are trying to help these women and children and these these, these elders and other people. Uh, uh, so I obviously like well, we're great. we're living in a unique space. San Diego is a unique space, uh, a war zone, you could say, uh, where they uh, you have federal agents pushing people onto the desert to die a um, lot of the Black um, Black Lives Matter people ended up dying too oh yeah mm-hmm. in Ferguson especially I think there's six, six organizers that are dead now that's scary that's yeah. frightening oh yeah like I I don't know how many hate how many uh, death threats do you have you gotten Rob have you ever gotten any uh, Oh all, that you the t- all, the,
1: all the time on Instagram <laughs> Yeah like everyone's <laughs> super hard I'm always, Well everyone's always hard on there You yeah, know yeah, yeah. it's funny because like you said earlier like you said you've been called like a, a black supremacist I've been called a brown supremacist yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm called, I get called I get called a like, uh, commie scum that deserves to be like, killed all the damn time uh, But you know what that's what I say Hey it's we, 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 I'm pretty sure Matt said it the best like it is good to be criticized by your enemies or hate by your enemies, right? That's
1: yeah. bad. My bad. Paraphrasing. Um, Nipsey said, "It's a blessing to have." Oh, that was his uh, last thing, right? enemies. Yeah. yeah. Geesh, crazy. Um, but we digress. Yeah, I totally um, So back, back to the music, man. Um, who are your top artists in the game right now, and who are the artists that push you the stuff of your game when you
0: hear their music? Right now, I'm listening to. A lot of Nipsey right now. Yeah. I'm listening to a lot of Nipsey hustle. Uh top artist in the game right now. Yeah. I mean in the vein of everything, I feel like Killer Mike is a very important figure.
1: Yeah. I feel like mm-hmm. that
0: can't be left out. I feel like he's very important. Um what's the other rapper? David Banner. I feel like mm. people like David Banner are just very important. They're they're very important right now. I feel like Jay Z is very important in mm-hmm. what they're doing with the music, and then what they what they're doing with the community. <clears throat> what I listen to on a daily basis, I'm listening to Meek. He's very important when he's doing with prison reform, mm-hmm. and now he's pushing that. Uh, I feel like those are just so those people those right now are so important to highlight. They're so important to highlight. And then I'll, I'll give you the other bullshit I'll be listening to. That little Nas thing? <laughs> <laughs> that old country road? That's crazy. That's <laughs> crazy. It's wild when people gentrify stuff, cause what we gentrify, I mean, we re-gentrify what they had gentrified back. But it's funny to see it. It's funny to see it. Like, that was a nice, like, sarcastic slap in the face for him to drop it, and then to make it like number one. Yeah. And then they kick it off, of course. It's like we used to that. And then you got Billy Ray on him. Then you got <laughs> Billy <laughs> Ray on it, and said, "Now what you gonna do, yo move?" So I love, I love those things, but I feel like those people that I just said before, Lil Nas, like, that has to be highlighted. Like, I'm entertained by the Lil Nas stuff and the political banter and stuff that's going back and forth. Mm-hmm. But those other things that those people are doing, people like T.I., mm-hmm. that stuff, it doesn't get highlighted enough. Yeah, And th- those are my aspirations of, oh what to be like whereas i'm doing music and i'm doing other things as well to better the the community Where no doubt on a local level what are
1: some of the artists and talent that you think people should know about if they don't already like your contemporaries here
0: i mean there's a lot of them there's a lot of artists big wise that i didn't say ice cube is a big person and i that i'll look up to Out here, I mean, I I love a lot of the artists that are out here. I love what Rossi Rock is doing. Um, My mentor, Leon St. Haran, his resources and his knowledge, it doesn't get used enough. I've had so many conversations with him where he's given so much knowledge and game out into the world. I feel like he doesn't get acknowledged as enough. When we were down at Five and a Dime, this was like 2008 to 2012 era, he was really a pivotal person to push 8th and G. And we brought together that whole block where it was like Neighborhood, 9-5 was down there. 5 and a Dime was on the corner where they had the bigger store. Uh, dope, dope Sauce was down there as well. And we had... Uh, like a festival down there where we brought together all those businesses and communities mm-hmm. and, and he was one of the major pushers of that dashe was a part of it as well i was a part of it Pip was a part of it so all those people that were in that b b dot watt was a part of it we came out with the eighth and g mixtape and uh save yourself was on there too but a, a lot of those people there's a lot of new rappers out here in San Diego I love them all I'm not gonna lie I really I really mess with them I feel like they should be empowered Rob Stone is important he's maturing as a person too so it's crazy for the city to see him grow up yeah oh what's her name I gotta say her name right what's her name is it is it Ka- Kalia? oh yeah. she's the she's the future yeah. Yes, completely. She had just got retweeted by Nipsey. She's putting out these Tuesday Takeover raps. Mm -hmm. She's rapping with a baby in her hand. These are just honest, real raps. I still haven't met her in person. I have a show with her later today. And with Leon and with with Lou uh, Salem. So, shout out to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, DJ Almanize is going to be playing. But that, that Kalia girl, she... That... That borderline of being mainstream and being underground and relating to people and being honest and being a black woman, that she got it. She (laughs) she just I mean if we as a city empower people like her, we good. So Mm -hmm. yeah. That's she's one of my favorites right now.
1: No doubt, man. Now last time we spoke in twenty seventeen you said that you're working on a project entitled American Boy. Is that project still slated to come out or has it manifested into something else entirely at this point?
0: So you're trying to say we took we take it too long? We've been working on American <laughs> Boy for two thousand fifteen? Two thousand nineteen? For at least four years. Mm-hmm. That we gonna take our time. Yeah. We're gonna take our time.
1: When it's ready, it's ready. Yeah, we
0: might not even call it American Boy. We, I mean, the, the producer, Dan, he's had a great year. First off, he lost like 60 pounds. Yeah. He goes by Danny K. We go by Real J and Danny K when we put out uh, that project. Yeah. And he's a composer. And so he recently just made the music for this video game called Donut County. Mm-hmm. It ended up winning iPhone Video Game of the Year nice. for 2018 then a couple months later, he got voted or he got nominated for the best music supervisor of a video game. Mm-hmm. And now he's working on a documentary and everything for that. And so we're just slowly working on this process of monsters. And actually, May 11th, we're going to be doing a show where we have a gallery where people show their monsters. Mm-hmm. through these different paintings. We're going to have four or five speakers where the speaker goes and talks about their monsters. And then we're going to do a panel where we show monsters the video, and then we talk about the whole process If people can come and ask us questions. And we're going to be bringing those passion planners so they're, everybody that attends the event is going to get a free passion planner. All right. So we're more so... About trying to live the album more than anything. Mm -hmm. I love love Dan. It gives us a chance to hang out tonight. We're going to be playing a lot of the stuff that we've been doing. But I'm a living, performing artist. Like, that's what I like to do more than anything. Yeah. So we're going to start this thing in May. But we're trying to have that be a moving tour where we have people talk about their monsters and display it through artwork. <clears throat> and we show and screen the film. Okay. And so this is growing from last year where we had something called Spiritualized, where I would show it during the Airbnb, but I would also do these other showings with Benji Huerta, with that. And that's a lot of the music that's on. Uh, on American Boy. On American Boy, but we're oh. probably going to change the name. All right. And so, yeah, this is the the bigger version with the with
1: the Monsters lecture series. Are, is that currently the only project that you work on right now, or do you
0: have other little... I have other a, little a, a projects. projects. I'm, I'm going to see what resonates. I have something called Black Barrio Logan, mm-hmm. which uh, is more specific, because I wanted to grow from The Last Black Man in Barrio Logan, because yeah. it's inspired by The Last Black Man in San Francisco, and mm-hmm. I want people to know that, you know, what there's my own identity with that, Yeah, too. Similar stories, crazy similar stories, because it's a reflection of a bunch of other people's stories. Mm-hmm. But Black Barrio Logan is an album uh, that I'm working on with a guy named C. A. Slater. He's a really dope producer. Totally different feel. Trying to do a book called Black Barrio Logan as well, so I can, um, you know, take these to the Airbnb, show them different things. But yeah, American Boy, which is gonna have a different title. Yeah, Black Barrio Logan, and uh, some. uh, I'm I'm just always working on things, but. I'm not always necessarily focused on putting them out.
3: hmm
0: Yeah. As, you know, and there's, like, not a, not a shot clock or nothing running apart, yeah. right? It's, like, it takes
3: its time. It, like you said, it gets done when it gets done. And that's kind of, like, it brings me to my question, right? Which <clears throat> it is an understatement, right, to say that you are a very busy person, right? Like, for music, you know, side projects, community, philanthropic phil- phil- work. I mean, we all got lives. We're all trying to just, like, make it through and survive and stuff like that, right? Uh, you have your hands on a lot of different stuff, needless to say. Uh, on the music side, you know, how much longer would you like to ideally like remain active in the like business side of like trying to like, you know, have a place to record that kind of like business side, or you know, how you, how long do you just plan on? Do you ever plan to stop making music? I mean, is this is gonna be something that you're just like, I'm doing to the last second of the, of when I check out. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, I plan on
0: doing to <laughs> the last second. They did it? They did it for so long? That's so inspiring. Yeah and so I like to re- just record myself telling stories as well mm-hmm. and just a lot of stuff that people will never hear it might, it's really just like thoughts in my in my head that maybe I'll give to a future son or something I mean, I, maybe I'll just go through an experience and I'll just capture that experience in there and I'll give that to someone that voiceover might even be used for like a film that we can use for where that's the voiceover and then show b-roll or something Ooh. Who knows? But a lot of stuff just gets created. And I feel like having that open where I can do that. But more importantly, the people that are around me could do that as well.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. they're telling my same stories as, as well. I, I've seen many a times where people speak my life out of their mouth. And it's crazy. There's a crazy connection once, you, once that happens. It's like, oh, shit, I'm not alone in this. Someone else is going through it. Mm-hmm. I don't ever want to eliminate that <clears throat> out of my life. Awesome, yeah, no doubt.
1: What advice do you have for young artists, musicians, and performers who want to get into the music industry and entertainment business, especially those that want to send a positive, uplifting message in their work, such as yourself?
0: Contradictions, because listen to this. Listen to this. I'm gonna tell you not to listen to nobody. So if you listen to me,
2: you're <laughs> listening to
0: somebody. You you're gonna constantly hit different types of contradictions and you have to realize that they can hold the same space. I don't know what one people will enter cuz people all have different experiences, but realize that you don't need to be listening to nobody. So don't listen to me. Mm-hmm. When I tell you that.
2: Does that make
0: sense? Make sense. <laughs> yeah, <definitely>, yeah. <laughs> no like do do you boo boo is one of my favorite phrases. It's yeah. do you boo boo and everything is is going to be fine. It's
3: good. So where can people go to find you and follow you online to hear your music and get all the latest updates for shows, promotions, other stuff like that?
0: Uh, you can go onto my Instagram, which is at RealJWallace.com, R-E-A-L-J-W-A-L-L-A-C-E. Or you can go to holyfield.org and check out The Holy Field and what we're doing down there. And um, those are the two best places. On my Instagram, I have a like a link tree where you can get connected to uh, all the other things that I'm associated with. Whether that's working with the African American Museum of Fine Art out here in San Diego, whether that's doing outreach at uh, places like a Reason to Survive, uh, you can connect and tap in, or you can just Google me. Google yeah. will Google is very efficient.
1: All right you got any closing comments or words of wisdom that you want to let our listeners know before you bounce man do you boo boo <laughs> <laughs> that's what I,
0: want. I
3: want I want all our episodes to end like that now. Just like, just do you I want that
1: <laughs> well, well thank you Real Jay Wallace it's a pleasure thank you for coming through to talk to us once again um, we wish you nothing but the best in the future and we look forward to having you on the show again real soon brother all right,
0: thank, you. You thank you
3: thank you thank you, you again Oh, yeah. Real good conversations
0: always. <laughs> yeah, I got to get
1: plugged in, too. Do, you know. Well, that's our show. Thanks again for tuning in and listening, guys. Big shout out to Real J. Wallace for coming through. And thank you again to all you guys out there for continuing to rock with us. We hope you guys enjoy the show and that you share, tweet, repost, and all that good stuff across the internet. We're going to close out today's episode with Real J. Wallace's latest single, Monsters, which you guys can buy through his official website, as well as stream the video on his YouTube channel. And with that said, we out.
2: Peace. I lie awake because I can't sleep at night. sleep And there's monsters in my closet and my mom's and alcoholics. I don't know my dad. But if I did, I would ask him why he doesn't love my mind. Cut this from my master Cause I don't stay away from stay stay my stepfans. I can't sleep. I just wanna see you smile smile, smile, smile. I just wanna make you smile, smile. smile. I just wanna see you smile, 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 smile. I want to thank I can sleep in five. And there's no surprise that my mind's never
1: This episode of Step Off Radio is recorded at the Justice Center, San Diego, and our music was done by DJ Root. This has been a Step Off Magazine production.